along with Ray Faust. Your spirit. All your money. The Protect Your Neck Podcast. Top five body shot stoppages in MMA with guest co-host Miguel Class. Regrets is heavy in your chest until sometimes it gets a hard to breathe. Sometimes the chest will go away and you start to feel you go never leave. What is up, everybody? This is Dan Tom, host of the Protect Your Neck podcast. Of course, we break down high-level MMA, but in a slightly different way, especially on the UFC off week, which are rare, but we've been fitting them in there. Of course, we're going back in time to appreciate the history of this young sport that's growing right under our nose. We like to do the old top five format real easy. Of course, uh, you rip it off really from everywhere, but I like to give a shout-out to the Film Vault podcast, you know, they'll do like top five bad cops, top five dramas, whatever comedies. And I'm like, why, why don't we do that format for MMA? You know, top five middleweight fights we recently did, top five Southpaw, shout out to Bill Welker and Fenyo. And I'm going to bring on another uh, respected person in the space, uh, analyst. Uh, you know, you might know him from his clips, but uh, I'm really interested to talk to this guy because he's so much more. He's been picked up uh, by other outlets uh, that I respect, like Bloody Elbow, uh, since you can find him, of course, on the artist formerly known as Twitter, at MigClass, as I have him <laughs> labeled. What's up, Miguel? Hey, how's it going, Dan, Tom? You know, I was thinking maybe of another label for you would be your favorite analyst, favorite analyst. <laughs> Because I think everybody that I respect will say that you are their favorite analyst, too. So, yeah, I'm super grateful to be here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate that, man. And, yeah, I'll stumble on a compliments every once in a while. And I, I get so awkward from them. Um, I won't <laughs> yeah. listen. Like, someone's like, oh, this person shouted you out and you're in the show. Here's, like, the timestamp even. They'll make it easy. And I'm like, ah. But uh, it's much respect that I would even be considered in the names. Um, I... Honestly, uh, I'm a fan of uh, many of you. You as well, Miguel. We've talked in DMs. I've yeah. been a big fan of your work, man. I try to share it out when I can because you put out such awesome stuff. Um, not just like clipping stuff out. Like you're actually like you've got like the way you word things. Like I, I, I'm gonna ask you uh, for my sake and for the audience here for you guys as well, folks, in a second. But I can tell, man. Like you're not just. A, I mean, you are a fan, obviously, of the sport. Why? Why else would you even like associate yourself with this with this crap, right? But like, tell me, man. Like, you you really have a, a great eye for the technical detail. What what is your story? Uh, you know, experience both as a fan, perhaps practitioner. Now, when you were a kid, what, what's mm. the story, Miguel? Yeah. So my uh, MMA and combat sports fandom goes back to UFC '68 when I had a friend invite me over to watch that pay per view. It was Randy Couture versus Tim Sylvia, and we watched the whole thing. Uh, for the whole main card start to finish and I was instantly hooked after that so I pretty much followed the sport uh, obsessively ever since then so that was 2007 
and then started branching out into other combat sports like boxing and kickboxing, Muay Thai, and even sumo recently. I don't know if you see my timeline, but I post a bunch of sumo content too. So yeah, those are the main things. I think what probably the longer that you watch, the more that you have a desire to just understand what's going on. And so I think I was posting clips and, you know, started uh, joining in communities of people that were also interested in actually understanding what was going on. And, you know, not just all the drama that was going on and, and behind the scenes for MMA stuff. It seems like a lot of people want to cover that kind of stuff, but there's like a small community of people that are always interested in the technical details. And so I just kind of got around the right people, I think, online and uh, learned a lot from finding those resources, things like Heavy Hands, the fight site. Um, yeah, you, you know, Bloody Elbows always po- posted great analysis content. So just kind of found the right stuff over time and then learned from other people. And then my own, like, kind of experience is um, I have not done anything since college. So in college, um, I did some boxing. I did, um, I got hooked up with the a guy who is a Shotokan karate black belt and he was teaching karate at the university and um I was trying to learn like BJJ from like online videos and stuff like that and then he was really interested because um I, I took one of his classes and then he wanted to show his students how to escape a choke and so I volunteered. I uh, jumped on his back and put him in a rear naked choke, and he didn't know what to do. So he tried to he tried to defend in some way that a karate person would learn how to defend. And I gracefully did not choke him out in front of the class. And then he came to the class, like after class, to me and kind of asked me to like help him, like try and learn some actual Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Then we linked up with like some other like college wrestlers and stuff, and then just started basically doing open mats and hanging out and trying to learn and passing off knowledge from other people. So I did that while I was in school, but ever since I've graduated, haven't really actually, you know, found a way to fit in training very much, but obviously still trying to learn as much as I can about the sport. Dude, that's awesome, man. Uh, doesn't, I mean, you'd think we're, we're, we're pretty close in age too. Cause that, that's right around my timeline as far as UFC 68, yeah. man. That is like, that's like right around that's the first pay-per-view I remember like as a hardcore fan you know like I I was aware of the sport from late 90s but I didn't follow it to like a tough noob right like just after that first tough season boom like that's where I came in uh so yeah by the time UFC 68 comes around like that's that's about the time where I'm actually knowing who I'm watching and appreciating Mm -hmm. like the whole at least the main card because that's all you got back then folks like you weren't getting prelims uh maybe like a first round finish you know if they needed to fill time on the broadcast but that was that was about yeah. it, man. So, you know, um, we'll see if we pull any uh, of those. I, I know we're going to be talking about a lot of fights from all over, but I, I really wanted to get to know more of your uh, experience, and that explains a lot of why you have an excellent eye for it. Also, shout out to the sumo, and shout out to my guy Tim B., Tim Bissell, uh, one of your oh, bloody of colleagues who also, you know, has been covering that beat for a while. So I, I really appreciate the analysis, uh, yeah. like you said, you guys have put out over there. So um, shout out to that. Uh, all right, so of course you guys are joining us. You see on the title, we're going to be breaking down today top five body shot stoppages. You know, TKO, knockout, uh, and we'll talk about the different types of body shots and the different kind of variations of stoppages that naturally occur and uh, that will occur in our selections, I imagine, right? Uh, but I figured the word body shot stoppages kind of encapsulates all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
we're, you know, as you guys know, in this podcast, it's no rules. You know, you can you can pull from Japan, you can pull from the '90s. Um, sometimes I'll specify in the UFC if I'm trying to like, you know, not make it too crazy of a list, depending on the thing. But this one, it didn't really matter how short you cut it. We're gonna leave stuff off our list. You know what I'm saying? Like, I gotta do the, these lists for Junkie. And this one ain't going to be a top five. It's going to be a top ten because there's just too much. You know, we're going to do our best for five. I'm sure you had this problem, Miguel. Did you have a problem as well? Kind of like mm-hmm. whittling it down to five. You're like, what? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think I got quickly a list of like 20 or so, like within a few hours of just like thinking about stuff. And then, yeah, whittling it down to five. It just like ends up being like, you know what? I'm going to lean into my bias. <laughs> That's yeah, what I decided. it's your list. It's not the definitive list, right? It is your list, and um, and you know there there is uh there's plenty of reasons to pick things which we'll get into. So again, just like I say in my articles or on these episodes, uh, we're not claiming to have a definitive list, nor should you really, right? Uh, these are subjective. These are our lists, your list, or your list, and we're gonna you know shout those out, of course, in the listener list segment. Of course, you can you uh you know submit those at the PYN podcast on all social platforms. You know, uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter is, is pretty uh, active for those posts where, where I usually draw most of them from, not going to lie. But yes, at the PYN Podcast on all social platforms, if you uh, the major ones at least, if you want to follow. I don't pollute your feed. And of course, at Dan Tom MMA is where you can find me. And uh, we already covered my guy Miguel, at Make Class. Uh, so uh, with those out of the way, uh, I just want to knock out one more uh, housekeeping notes. And then we're going to dive fully into the top five body shots. So... Uh, body shot stoppages, I should say. Um, real quick, of course, uh, have the Amazon click-throughs and the Onnit click-throughs uh, for this free program. And I hate doing this stuff, and I, I feel like it always breaks up the show flow. Like, I just want to talk body shots with my guy, Miguel, right now. But um, it is the time of year. This is the Thanksgiving week. Whether you think you're a big Thanksgiving person or not, good for you if you are. I personally am not, whether we're talking about the holiday or... I know, don't throw, don't throw food at me, folks. But yes, even the food, you know... I, I could take it or leave it, to be honest, but we are all blessed with the holiday craziness of Black Friday and the shopping season that has already ensued because they just keep stretching these things out longer and longer and making it crazier and crazier and starting Christmas earlier and earlier. So whatever you celebrate, whatever you're shopping for, if you want to support this here free show, you go to my website, MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Uh, you click on the link. You might have to scroll down, toggle down to the right if you're on the mobile, and you would just click on the link for Amazon or on it if you shop at any of those godforsaken places. You can ease your conscience by at least knowing that portion of your percentage, whatever you click, uh, will be kicked back to this here program. And net no extra charge for your costs, just an extra click or two. You go to mixedmarshallanalyst.com. You click on on it or you click on Amazon. You click, if you click on Amazon, it'll actually give me a list of what you buy. Don't worry. It won't put your name, your personal information. I won't be able to lift your card number. I won't be able to tell who bought the pair of vibrating nunchucks to have their David Carradine one night in Bangkok. Your secret's safe in me. It's a judgment-free zone. And uh, I just appreciate you supporting the show as I will try to comically, semi-comically read off. Wherever you want to donate, straight up. Um, eventually I might just do like, you know, I should do a Patreon and even if I do, I'd probably go like Kaposa style and I wouldn't tell anybody about it and it would, you know, it'd be like $1 tier or something, something silly like that, but I don't have anything like that. So if you want to support, you can go to paypal.com uh, at uh, Dan Tom MMA it should pop up or again at Dan Tom MMA, as you see on the social platforms, click in my link tree, you get the secure PayPal link there as well as uh, the website. Um, only a couple purchases since last week. I did a major cleanup, so this will be uh, quick. 
A um, couple movies. It uh, looks like someone, I want to say one on an Arnold Schwarzenegger binge, but only one of these are Schwarzenegger. Uh, one of them is actually Alien, which, shout out, 40th anniversary 4K. Is that is that my guy, uh, is that my guy Kyle Mack? Shout out to the Combat Chronicles uh, <laughs> podcast, who's way too kind to me. I know he's a big fan of that horror film. You better be careful how you approach Kyle with that. He will correct you. It's a great, it's a great one. One of the great, great sequels to Aliens. Uh, do, you, do you like any of the Alien flicks, uh, Miguel? No, that's not like it's kind of funny because I, I think I grew up like not being allowed to watch all that stuff, and then never like circled back around to watch a lot of classic like horror action movies. You know. <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's probably a good thing. Unlike me, I was like the opposite. Where like. It's not that I was allowed to, because he probably shouldn't have at a too young of an age. So you get me. So that's you're doing fine. Uh, we also got uh, Blade Runner. That's not Schwarzenegger. Um, but the last two are. Sorry, there was four. Uh, Total Recall. All right. All right. So someone's someone's beefing up their 4K collection. I appreciate that, by the way, as as, a, as an appreciator of uh, that type of media and something I actually recently rewatched. Did they have the 4K out yet? I'm waiting for the 4K for the original Terminator. You know, some Michael Bean action. Do you, you, you ever circle back for the Terminators, Miguel? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. still, like, funny, like, I could see how kids would have been totally terrified of those movies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, man, I I mean, I was scared of stuff like Dark Crystal and stuff that was like Jim Henson, you know, uh, from, like, the 80s and stuff. Like, so, I, was, I, I don't know, I, yeah, I'd be scared of, like, you. weird stuff. Yeah, it was good. Chucky, oh, jeez, don't get me started on that. But we're not doing no, top man. five horror or top five movies that scared us. This, of course, Protect Your Neck podcast, we're doing... Top five body shot stoppages. Dan Tom here with my co-host Miguel Class. And as we get the timestamp here, twelve minutes, not too bad of wasting time. We will get into it. Um, not much to explain here, of course. Uh, everybody, it's almost comical, uh, and I, I, I'll lean into it. Uh, it's fine. People will tweet me during events now. They'll be like, "Oh, body shots." You know, Dan Tom must be rock hard. Oh, Dan Tom must look like Stan's dad from South Park. Gif, you know, in front of the computer. Uh, and and it's true. I, I I love me some body work. I don't know why it's always been that way, but I feel like um, as I paid attention to this sport and almost the kind of disrespect that it gets. You know, like we talk about ju- judging, you know, not being as favorable as we'd like toward it, you know, uh, for body work compared to like boxing, for example. And perhaps we'll get in some of these stoppages like we, we, we kind of tease, right, Miguel? Um, some of these aren't the cleanest stoppages because uh, of one reason or another. And you could argue that a lot of that is because even the refs, you know, uh, who I, I, I respect the judges and I respect the refs even more. They're both very hard jobs. And generally the refs uh, have more of a chance of, a deeper wealth of experience, martial arts-wise, as well as combat experience. So, you know, and arguably, as, as it should be, they're the sole arbiter uh, of the cage there. But even they, I don't know if they, like, you know, kind of, you know, have this natural, I don't want to say disrespect, because I don't think it's anything we do consciously, right? But, like, they'll be a little slow to slow to stop some of these. You, you, you uh, touching on what I'm saying here, Miguel? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, actually... Uh... I was going to kind of touch on that on my number one pick, actually, because I have to justify a little bit because it's always a little bit better if it's a walk away. But there's so many of these that it's like they definitely it should have been a walk away. It should have just been a walk away. The guy was done. But, you know, it's MMA and the refs are just like finish him. So they got to see some guy in turtle like holding his side, getting pounded out. (laughs) Yeah. And I always love it because usually the commentary 
in their defense are you know uh, are the ones to pick it up first. Like, oh, he's done, he's done. Mm-hmm. But then you gotta wait for everybody else to figure it out. <laughs> you know, so uh, we're gonna go uh, do our best again. It's, it's impossible, folks. Like I said, for Junkie, I'm gonna do a a top ten. We're gonna clean up everything in honorable mentions. Like there are some things where it's like. I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is uh, some of my best, like some of the best body shot performances. Kind of don't, um, you know, I, I, maybe Miguel might make a case, and I, I, you know, I'm definitely flexible on this show for hipster picks. But like some of them are just kind of hard to justify because you'll get body. Uh, I'll mention them later. I don't want to burn any, but you'll get body work throughout, memorable body work performances. But the finish again, stoppages, right? Top five stoppages. Um, the stoppages would maybe another strike, even if it was attributed mm-hmm. to the bodywork. So it gets a little gray. We'll talk about that. It doesn't disqualify from it, um, but I did definitely great on that curve because you got to start splitting hairs. I mean, this is too good of a topic. There's too many good selections to pick. You kind of have to split hairs, right, Miguel? Yeah, for sure. I I definitely tried to consider things where the body shot was the primary thing that finished them. That and then it's like, of course, bonus points if it's a walk away, but then. Also, if it's like they were getting beat down with other strikes that were not body shots, and then it's kind of like they're just tapping the body at the end or something, I was kind of like, ah, they were already out. <laughs> yeah, and then sometimes the finishing shot, you, you know, maybe we'll talk about some selections too. You remember distinctly as a body shot, but when you go back to rewatch the fight, you're like, well, that doesn't really count. They were already done, and it really wasn't body shots mm-hmm. that had them done. And uh, I've, I've got a couple of those selections too that didn't make, I thought was going to make the list early even with the crazy selections, and didn't because of that. We'll talk about those as well. Uh, as you guys know, we go from 5 to 1, back and forth. Crossover is okay. And even on a crazy list like this, I actually wouldn't be surprised I, if we have maybe one crossover. We'll see. Um, but uh, I like to start off with number 5, and I like to let the guests start off. So, uh, Miguel, I also feel like number 5 is actually, ironically, one of the more interesting choices on what it, what makes my or the, the, the guest's number 5 slot. It's that... You know, I treat it as the hipster slot, and that's how a lot of listeners treat it, which is nice to see you guys. I'll definitely address your list. But how did you approach your number five, and what made your number five, Miguel? Yeah, that's exactly how I approached it. It was like, what was the the thing that I thought that people would not know that I wanted people to kind of, It's almost like a shout-out pick, you know? Like, I, yeah. I didn't want this to be forgotten, so I snuck it in at five. It's George Hardwick versus Dean Truman and Cage Warriors. Nice. So George Hardwick, if people don't know, yeah, Cage Warriors lightweight champ, and he's a body snatcher and one of the best in the sport right now. He's lost a little bit of steam because uh, he lost on the Contender Series recently, and so it's kind of sad that he had to go to the Contender Series at all. But still, this fight with Truman was awesome. Only a couple rounds, but what really makes this body shot so awesome for me is the way that Truman shrieks when uh, George Hardwick just sends an, a lead uppercut around his guard and catches him right in the liver. And Truman audibly shrieks out loud, immediately goes into the fetal position and drops down. And this is one where actually Mark Goddard, the ref, steps in right away. No follow-up shots necessary. He recognized that it was done, probably because he screamed out loud and it was echoing through the arena there. But... I really like these types of shots like um, because like a, an uppercut to the body is kind of hard because a lot of people, when they sent a body shot coming, the natural response is to you know go high guard, cover up, and bring your elbows down a little bit. But these uh, like uppercuts can sneak through the high guard, like through your elbows or around them. 
And it doesn't have to be super hard, so you don't have to crouch all the way down like you would to get real power into an uppercut and kind of explode upwards. He just kind of whips it right into the liver, and it's enough. I love this one. When I was doing my uh, the article that's, that's still pinned from the beginning of the year, the prospects to watch in 2023, uh, Hardwick was one of the more obvious picks that I felt because like hardcore you know, uh, Cage Warriors fans or people from that side of the pond um, have been pretty familiar with him, right? But uh, I just couldn't deny it. I'm a big bodywork fan person, obviously, as well. And I remember watching that exact one. And, yeah, you don't need a, a crazy dip. Even just that, that, that basic uh, turning motion you get off throwing your two, maybe not even overcommitted to. Uh, and then you just that, that shift of the shoulders to that, lead, uh, to that lead uppercut right around the guard. It was really a thing of beauty. Um, it reminded me of just like, you know, and, uh, you know, I, Ward more known for what his his left hook right in the, those Gotti series, but like it gave me flashbacks to watching, you know, a skilled boxer actually doing it. And those um, mm-hmm. you still don't see a lot as much as you'd like to in MMA, right? So uh, that's uh, that's a that's a, that's an excellent excellent shout there. All right. Yeah, one of the great things about it too is that uh, Hardwick after words yells at the camera, "Get this man a pizza." It's like it's just a, like a great finish. He's so charismatic and. I kind of, I wish he would. I think he'll end up in the UFC someday. He'll end up on the big show. Uh, it's a few things to adjust, but he's still one to watch for sure. Yeah, or if like Billy Quarantillo can't make a fight, you know, even though they're actually different weight class now. That I think about it, but uh, you know, they look they they're, they're doppelgangers, man. George Hardwick looks like evil Billy Quarantillo. You know, puts the goatee <laughs> on. Yeah. And uh, you know, maybe we could pass off there, but no, I, I, that's that's a great shout. Hopefully, we see more. Uh, of Hardwick uh, in the future on the big stage. Um, that sucks about the contender series thing for sure. Um, my number five is uh, another uh, kind of a more low, lower key hipster one as well. Um, this one I wanted on here. It's not like the most cleanest stoppage. Um, the highlight moment is uh, he actually has to hit him more because again, it's MMA, right? Even though he was already done. But Shane Campbell, Shane Shaolin Campbell, does hit him with body shots. And uh, Shane Campbell, of course, uh, I, I love a guy who comes in, you know, with Shaolin, Canada. You get some representation. You may have more. Uh, but Canada, you get some representation on the list here. Um, you know, Shane Campbell, he fought like a little bit of K1, some kickboxing, Muay Thai, um, but fought MMA. And this is WSOF, of course. WSOF 18 against, uh, was it Derek Boyle? Uh, this is... a. Uh, July, no wait, this is February, February 12th, 2015, so almost nine years ago. Um, This, of course, is the Hadouken liver kick. This is a front kick to the liver. There are punches to the, there's punches to the body, right? Uh, You know, there's kicks to the body, um, depending on what side, if you hit someone's right side, uh, that's their liver side. You can, of course, hit that with punches. You can also hit it uh, with a front kick, and of course, Shane Campbell stabs Derek Boyle with a front kick. And he goes to one knee and it hurts him. But it, it's one of those things where it's it's better than... And even my crappy ass, and I, I feel crazy even being able to say this after my sparring session today, my first one. And probably like this whole like last two quarters of the year, three quarters of the year. And boy, did I feel it. Boy, did I feel embarrassing. Boy, did I look embarrassing, right? But uh, even my ass, especially as a guy who's a southpaw and loves to work the body. There's been a couple times and you never try to hurt a partner. But you do go harder a bit to the body and legs and sparring. And sometimes mm-hmm. you'll hit it just right, and you'll see them react. And I can only imagine doing it into uh, in a fight. But uh, 
you know, actually doing this in live with, with an actual fighter, a trained martial artist, and being able to get that organic feel, there's something about it, you know. Um, th there's a flow of the fight that is hard to see. You can see from the outside through a monitor, through the cage corner, but ultimately it's the fighters that understand that. Uh, the fighters kind of know, can even know when each other is hurt, right? There's a certain sense that you might pick up on it before the commentators, before the general public, because you're in there and you can feel it. And not just you can feel it, but there's a certain feeling when it's to the body. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everybody. I love sex. Sex is awesome. But, man, it's as good as sex. It is as good as sex. <laughs> Watching somebody go, oh, and you see their right hand, right arm start to drop and cover, and you just know. And I bring that up and get so in-depth with that because not only is it apropos to all the, all the selections, but with this one in particular, Shane Campbell, right when he hits it, it's like he knows because as soon as his left foot hits – it resets back like you're stepping back into a lunge. And he just lunges right into a slow, can't kind of a move. And, like, it just it almost steals Derek Boy's soul. And, of course, the ref goes, come on, keep going. Because, you know, we don't respect body shots. And uh, he has to, you know, follow up. And he gets the finish, like, seconds after. Um, again, it's not the cleanest finish, but come on, the, the Hadouken and just, just being that in line with the emotions and like, that's just such a rare thing. You know, you could try to do that and look like the biggest, um, the biggest asshole. We'll, we'll, perhaps we'll talk about a body kick finish that happened right after somebody did some kind of stupid showboating asshole move, right? Like, no, this is legit. It's organic. Uh, it makes my number five. Are, are you familiar with this one, Miguel? Yeah, uh, one thing I really like about these like front snap kicks to the body is that you can really dig like the ball of your foot into mm -hmm. into either the liver, the solar plexus, the stomach, wherever you're hitting it, and it it just has like that stabbing uh, ability that other body strikes don't really have as much. So mm -hmm. it's one of those things again, like it's it doesn't have to be a lot of power because you can really dig into it, and it's. And I think that's what you saw there. Is like he could feel his the ball of his foot going into his opponent. So it's like you know that it's like oh that went deep. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know what you mean because like I'll work it on the bag uh, a lot. Uh, so I, just, I, I, I this last year I got a, a teardrop tie bag right. So I'm 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 loving the front kick work right. And uh, you know I've got like really messed up toes from just kicking over the years and stuff and. Um, you know, but I'm good at pulling the toe back and using the ball and like kind of different, you know, and not, not, I'm talking more the snap, like you're talking about, not so much the push. And I can, I, I, I you get very disheartened with like, at least I do, because uh, certain strikes are not powerful. You know, we're all working on different things. And I'm like, man, I'm not throwing this powerful. How is this my shot? But then I remember like one of my last sparring sessions before I was going to fight, before my fight fell through last year, amateur wise, uh, one of the most, uh, you know, one of the, you know when you're ramping up the sparring sessions, uh, one of the more peak sparring sessions before that with actual people who are competing at my weight, uh, so on and so forth, getting ready for the same date and so forth. Uh, I was going against one guy who's really really good. Shout out to my guy Justin, and he was throwing you know, you know he's got he's a real good athlete, almost like Barbosa like head kicks. Uh, but I I like the sit of chest out bodybuilding front alternating from front kicks to. Uh, more traditional tie kicks to the body. I don't go to the head too much, but I would mix in a little question mark kick to kind of flicker up toward the chin. I go to the legs a lot, but legs and body mainly. And after it, he was like, man, those front kicks really fucking hurt. I was hurting for days after. I was like, really? I was like, because I felt like I was, I wasn't doing much. Like, I just, you know, I'm like, oh, these, these, am I really even hitting them that hard with these? Like, where's your power? But to your point, it doesn't take doesn't take a lot to really bother somebody. 
Yeah, um, it doesn't have to be much, and it's it's all about targeting with those strikes, you know. And and the speed yeah. too that you can land them with is is what really makes them dangerous. They're not super easy to defend either because a lot of people, you know, they're used to blocking kicks, uh, you know, either with a, a check or you know um, catching or something like that. But you really mm-hmm. got to parry a, a good snap kick like that, which yeah. is hard to time and. And then you can start playing off their reactions, you know, if they're reaching down to parry kicks across the body or to catch them, something like that. So, yep, the old uh, the old Luke Rockhold question mark kick. But uh, before we go too far down that road, um, let's go to number four. It's uh, it's back to you, sir, Miguel. What did you get for your number four, man? So, this one, like we were mentioning before, is one of the ones where the commentators knew it was over. I think almost more than a full minute before the fight was actually stopped. Oh, I think it's actually the hardest one to watch. Like it's it's difficult to watch. It's Edson Barbosa versus yes. Dan Hooker. Yes. And I think this is probably in MMA the most brutal sustained body beatdown that I have seen because Edson he hits Hooker with a spinning back kick to the liver that pretty much finishes the fight and it's like three minutes 45 seconds into round three like at 345 so it's like a minute and 15 into the round or something like that and at that moment dc is like it's over (laughs) and then you know over the course of the next like minute or so barboza hits him with like three more round kicks on the same side he hits him with another spinning back kick and hooker just every every time he just is hunching over like his his chest is almost to his knees and dc just keeps saying like hey guys we can stop this fight like the corner the ref somebody can stop the fight and it's like the crazy thing is like even when barboza gets double collar ties nails him with the knee to the body the thing that and another spinning back kick the thing that ends up finishing him is just that left hook to the liver that finally just crumbles hooker so it's like it's a sustained one but then it's that really awesome just you know, leaning over, digging the left hook to the liver and just touching it, you know, one more final time, touching the button, and then Hooker is just fetal position on the ground, like, before he even hits the ground, he's curled up. Yeah, it, it makes so much sense that, like, you know, Barbosa, I know he's, his right hand has is, is really come back to life down at featherweight. Um, his left hook has always been kind of an underrated slash not so underrated tool since his days with Mark Henry. They really cleaned that up. But it makes so much sense that the guy would get get good at throwing that left hook to the body because, again, you he has the natural right hand of the head, and he obviously has the leg kicks, you know, for that classic Dutchy combo. Not that that's his thing, like a, like an Aldo, so to speak, but because of his multi-layered attacks and the way they all kind of attach together the right hand of the switch kick to the body, um, that left hook, man, it just... You forget how menacing that is when he wants to go to the body to that. And yeah, you've seen it a bit since, but that hooker fight is easily the most brutal uh, selection you could you could choose. I uh, We'll get to it. Um, it didn't make my list because I feel like it got... Um, it doesn't end in a similar way. But I feel like I, I, I'm fairly confident that I would have what would be the number two behind it. But it's a clear number two behind it because Barbosa hooker is a clear number one. That is a brutal one. I'm glad you had it on your list. Yeah, there's just something. It's it's amplified by just the toughness of Dan Hooker, right? Like, I can't think of many other people that would have survived, you know, one or two of those, like, just perfectly placed spinning back kicks to the body. But 
it's just the craziness of Dan Hooker to just basically be a zombie marching forward towards towards Edson Barboza, waiting to get executed. I mean, it's- absolutely. Uh, that's a that's a that's a really good one. All right, so we've got uh we've got two body punches so far for those keeping track at home from Miguel's list, right? Five and four different types of body punches. Um, you know, the lead hand uppercut, and then, you know, I mean, a multiple body assault, but that left hook to the body by Barbosa. Um, I've got a body kick with the left foot, the stab, right? Uh, and I'm going to keep my own trend of this, and my number four is also going to be a body kick KO, Miguel. Now, Miguel, this is one that's tough. Like, I, everyone everyone knew, I mean, I already, I already hit my quota for one liver kick, technically, with the Shane Shaolin Campbell. But everybody knew and was asking, what's going to be the liver kick, you know? Uh, liver kick, you know, your, your more middle kick, uh, classic style tie kick, tie style roundhouse kick. I'm trying to use all the different descriptors that I've heard people kind of use for it, just so there's no confusion of what I'm talking about here. Um, but yeah, and because I, I don't want to use examples because it could burn what's on the list because there's so many for this, right? There's so many good just right to the liver side from a southpaw stance, or even if they're an orthodox fighter switching, um, that southpaw, you know, that left-sided to the to their opponent's right side, the liver kick, of course, your opponent is on your right side. I should know this from being a theater kid, but is that your stage right, or would that be stage left? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the point is it's on your right side, folks. You, uh, if you're looking for the, uh, you know, the, the geography, if you will, for where that liver is located. And uh, for mine, I went with the classic guy in Mirko Krokop. Okay, so uh, he made my list. And with Mirko, um, especially if you're not going with this kickboxing, this is uh, body shot stoppages in MMA, folks. Um, you know, uh, you could go with his first top 10 win, which was a big deal against Heath Herring. But when you actually watch the performances and the finishes, and for what it's worth, what it means as well, even though it may not jump off, I went with uh, his Pride uh, Critical Countdown 2005 victory over Ibrahim Magomedov before the Magomedovs were the hotness. Um, Ibrahim Magomedov, um, you know, not as well not as well known, uh, but of course uh, he actually did a lot of training over in uh, you know with a lot of Dutch uh, Dutch strikers and whatnot. And perhaps you could actually maybe credit him for guys like Fedor going over and kind of rounding out their sambo. And, you know, I know Fedor, you know, wild casting punches. I know, you you know, older, out-of-shape guy for your newer fans that unfortunately only saw the latter part of Fedor's career. Um, but Fedor definitely made his rounds outside of Russia as well. And I think he followed suit by guys like Ibrahim Magomedov, who Fedor was in his corner. And this was, you know, Mirko Krokop's win, uh, win streak to get to Fedor Emelianenko. You know, he had some stumbles, like against Noguera and whatnot. But, you know, this is after he beat Fedor's brother, Alexander Emelianenko. And this was kind of the last last one before the final boss. Ibrahim Magomedov was the last one before the final boss. Uh, this was the fight that earned him uh, a rematch, or not a rematch, but a match with Fedor Emelianenko, which would be one of the best, if not I have it ranked, and most people do, is one of the best heavyweight fights of all time, right? Uh, Mirko Kokov versus Fedor. And it was great because you forget, and especially those of us who, even if we were around, we weren't around as hardcore at the time, like myself, right? And you forget how much it was built up. Like, they were building it up almost as if they knew, which they didn't, folks. But you hear guys like I respect, like Mauro Ronaldo talking about it. Like, 
this was the fight MMA was looking forward to. And this fight actually sets it up. It's a really beautiful fight where, you know, Mirko Kokov, I've talked about before, he has underrated boxing fundamentals. The guy's not, you know, some Mayweather out there. But when you really look at his fundamentals from his footwork, his circling, his counters, uh, they really quietly kept him alive, especially in his more advanced eras where he was not relying on his kicks as much, right? But this is 2005. This is prime... uh, you know, this is prime Mirko Krokop, and he's actually doing, like, Conor McGregor, like, inside angle slips and left hands. He's drawing out the right hand from Magomedov, who actually looks like a really good striker, both for the time and especially for the division. And again, uh, you know, he wasn't just a Sambo guy. This guy actually went and, you know, trained with Dutch-style kickboxers and was 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 more than ready to, to trade with Krokop. So it wasn't like a typical gimme like his other fights. And uh, he does the whole repertoire, the legs, the body, the head, the inside angle, uh, Conor McGregor counter cross. Like, it's a great southpaw performance. Um, but the kick is clean. It's mean like you would expect from a Crow Cop uh, selection, like you would expect from a selection to represent liver kicks on my top five at least. But it also has something we haven't talked about, Miguel, which I know is going to be on at least one of your selections. But it has that del- uh, the delay effect, which you get with the liver shots. You get the body shot delay. It's a specific thing with livers. Broken ribs, solar plexus, uh, spleens are pretty immediate. Liver, sometimes you get the sweet delay that makes it all the more dramatic. And uh, Ibrahim does that typical thing where he backs off and he just... Uh, you just see him crumple and go down. And and that's all she wrote. You get a beautiful, like, you get a sweet, like, pro wrestling style... Uh, Exit. You can actually like, watch the end of that fight. And you get some sweet, like, Fedor comes out with his belt. And it's this respectful thing to build up what would become one of the greatest heavyweight fights. Long-winded, but that's my number three. You are speaking my language because I absolutely adore Krokop. He's one of my favorites. I mean, obviously, like, his... We, we know him from just being one of the, the greatest kick you know kickboxers in MMA. Like, even as a heavyweight, like... Technically, you know, his striking stands up to what heavyweights are doing today. You know, mm-hmm. obviously he was a successful kickboxer, but even just what he was doing in MMA, like you're talking about, like his footwork, his his ability to just draw people into counters. Um, Zane Simon has always pointed out his ability to to pivot and get people into the corner in the ring, and then basically uses kicks to kind of execute them there. And yeah, so just coming from a kickboxing background he had that those those fundamentals of movement uh footwork and he was really able to dance around people and then uh parlay that into some like underrated takedown defense for you know how kind of quickly he developed that it, it's a lot of people took him down and you know like in the early days of um or this period of mma you know he's kind of focusing on surviving on the ground but He's more difficult to take down than it looks. And then when you're stuck on the feet with him, you know, that southpaw double attack, just the, the, the left straight and the the left kick either to the, the leg, the body, or the head, and his right kick was just as dangerous too. It's just – he was just still go to go back and watch him. It's so much fun. He's just so violent. He's so skillful, and especially in a ring and, and during that period. It's just like he was made to fight – in a ring in in Japan, you know, in Pride, that was like his whole thing. And I really love yeah. this finish that you took because of like what you're talking about that delayed reaction and the way uh, uh, Magomedov like starts to reach for his liver and yeah. he's like, it's like you can't do anything about it, but it's just this natural response. Like you you want to like 
just holds your side and it's like it doesn't help or anything and then he just crumbles and yeah this is one of the ones where it actually is a walk-off right like Krokoff didn't have to follow up or anything even like a like a, a serial killer like us from a slasher film to finish the job and the ref thankfully pushes him away before he makes contact <laughs> I, I said number three because I have it written out I guess I skipped my number four it really doesn't matter I'll just I'll just do a switch but this was actually my number three folks sorry to throw that off we're still on number four just for a mental note, it really doesn't matter with these two selections, and I'm not going to go redo the, uh, I already delivered it too beautifully, so we'll stick with that. Um, speaking of number three, though, what did you, what made your number three? All right, so this one, um, I, when I was doing some research for this, I, I revisited this finish, and I liked it so much, I did like a full breakdown video on my, on my Twitter. It's Anderson Silva versus Stefan Bonner, and it's just so cool because of everything that leads up to it. Silva is so incredibly creative. And, you know, he took this fight on a month's notice just to save a pay-per-view, to move up to light heavyweight, and just to have some fun because he was like that kind of a guy, you know. And he was always better when he was kind of able to just have fun. And he was just letting Bonner press him up against a fence. He was intentionally putting himself up against the fence and letting Bonner try to tee off on him. But... Um, Bonner is like trying to clinch with him and Silva gets a really nasty two on one and just starts turning Bonner away and then trips out his leg. And then as Bonner is like stumbling back up, Silva runs up to him, pushes on his hip a little bit. So he stumbles into the fence. And then as Bonner is like recoiling off the fence, Silva and, and Bonner's trying to cover up too, because Silva's like, you know, trying to land some shots, some punches and so Bonner's like throwing up a high guard and Silva just, you can see him just like totally see what is going to happen. He lines up the shot and he just delivers this perfect knee to the solar plexus as Bonner is like flinging off of the fence, bouncing off of the fence. It's like such an MMA finish too. It's like you would never see it anywhere else because it's this, you know, trip and the scramble and the clinch and bouncing off the fence and then getting kneed right in the solar plexus. And then, like, the face that Bonner makes, like, instantly, like, it's just like that. Oh, yeah, exactly, that face. And then he, he crumbles. It's one of those ones that should have been stopped, and, you know, Silva follows up with some ground and pound. But it's just this beautiful, like, uh, I don't know, just creativity from Silva, too, and just, like, in the middle of chaos. He's just perfect there. And that's – it's like – so when you go back and rewatch Silva's career, it's like – there's a lot of stuff that he was good at, a lot of basic stuff that he he was good at and ahead of his time at. But it was just like it's almost every finish is different, you know, because he's just he's always looking for something different. And it's like he had some things that were his go to and he had some stuff that he was just good at. But every single finish is unique, and he's just he's trying to like paint a picture almost, put something together. That's why sometimes it, some of his fights could get a little bit weird because he's waiting for that, you know, and he's he's waiting for his opponents to make the right mistake or to, to do something. But yeah, he's just an artist basically. That's kind of how he fought, and you know, I don't. It, it's he's a, a one that may be tough to rate um, all time, but just right. he's, he absolutely stands up just technically. Like when you go and watch him. Absolutely, I, I I rated him pretty high all the time, and the self admittedly, uh, just because you know I come from that era, and he really you know, um, like I, we were recently talking on MMA Junkie, you know, and like uh, I I didn't have like Hoist or Ronda even on like my thirty greatest fighters list, you know. Um, obviously, I had Anderson on there, 
And Anderson can be a weird guy to rank. Um, BJ can be a weird guy to rank, depending on who you're asking and how you mm-hmm. look at his career, obviously. But I, I did make an argument even with, and I, I said, you know, BJ, Anderson, and Ronda, even though I'm not a big Ronda fan and, and didn't have her on my list, I was like, you could put those names up against any of these lists of people you could think of of greatest fighters. And they're at the top of it when if we're talking about Fighters who gave you that woo-woo, what's going to happen, that crazy thing in the air, good, bad, sad, like you knew something was going to happen, like it gave people a feeling, you know, gave you a feeling probably, if not, it gave the room a feeling, and uh, they are some of the top fighters, whether you're fans of them or not, you really can't deny that effect they have, because even really good, technically great fighters, and you might be really into them, and that, that, that brings your excitement, or my excitement, of course... But there is that weird kind of mythical level. Fedor, obviously, you know, is, is right up on that list, too. Um, if we're talking about, you know, just greatest in general. Um, but, yeah, uh, Anderson is right there, man. And he was an artist. He, uh, it's funny. There's two, there's there's two, there's probably three selections. Uh, and I don't want to burn the, the, the other fighter because there's a bunch from him. But uh, outside of that fighter, uh, Barbosa Hooker and Silver Bo- Silva Bonner are the two ones where I was like, oh, I really got to make this, you know, uh, it's not on my list, so you're not burning any for me, but I'm like, that's got to be on my top 10 list when I do the top 10, you know, it's got to be on there. Um, and so I'm really glad that you have them on your list, in other words, so uh, hopefully uh, people won't go too hard on me for mine, because you are, you are filling in the gaps beautifully here, Miguel. Yeah, and like I said, this is, I leaned heavily into my bias, and, and like I said, I started watching in 2007, so right at the beginning of Anderson Silva's reign. So, and like, there's just, there was, it's kind of incomparable to, to describe what it was like, because even as an immense Silva fan, I always felt that he was vulnerable. Like you're just waiting. And and there weren't a lot of, you know, dominant champs at that time. He was the one that, you know, was accumulating the, him and GSP alongside yep. each other, accumulating the most, but GSP, it was like, you pretty much you went into the fights expecting him to do what he was going to do and win. But Silva just had this like, yeah. You didn't know what was going to happen, and it's like my heart was racing because I always felt like he could lose, even though it's like you would think, well, he's so dominant, you're, he's going to find a way to finish it. But it's like, even in the midst of it, you know, like he always like is showing some like vulnerabilities and things like that that you think, you know, like Travis Luter's taking him down and stuff and mounting him and landing strikes and. You know, he goes for a bad arm bar and stuff, but that like kind of thing makes you think. Or Dan Henderson is winging bombs at him and landing them on his chin. He took him down in the first round too and was able to yeah. stay on top of him. So you always feel like there's like this vulnerability there, like that he could lose, but then he just like finds some crazy way to to finish his opponent. Absolutely, and I like that. Like you, you went back to watch because that's that's something that I try to tell people, and you can speak to this because like even like you know you watch ones you don't know like oh in research right, but then even it's you know people are like why are you gonna waste time watching one that you do know, especially a classic. You've seen that a bunch of times. Like yes and no. Like like you, I'm sure you went back to watch it for this, and like you said, you were inspired enough to like clip it out. That wasn't the first time you saw that fight, Miguel. Right? You've seen it a bunch of times oh, before. Yeah. But sometimes you have to go back to watch it to really see where it where it where it hits with you, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I I all the time go back. I mean, I think that's what people don't realize is like there's so much going on in a fight that even if you've seen a single fight, like you and this is what I basically try do try and do on my Twitter is like you, you take different just 
sequences and then you break them down like you know as you can do it a frame by frame or in slow motion or something and that that's the only time you can really like get you know comprehend and get everything out of like a complicated exchange and that's what i had to do with this one because it's like you remember the finish but i didn't remember all the preamble all the stuff that led up to it or you know like how he set up that position in the clinch to get the trip and then you know i missed completely that after he you know stepped behind to do the outside trip um bonner doesn't exactly fall and as silva's falling he catches the leg with his hand so he grabs behind bonner's leg you know just to 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 do the final piece of, of tripping him out and it's like just you know that super cool instinct that you see uh from silva but yeah there's always things like that that you miss like unless yeah. you go back and really break it down absolutely absolutely that, that's a great shout that's a great shout all right so my number three that is going to be my number three for the show but was originally my number four you could you could you could swap these they're, they're completely different ones right so now we've got uh miguel for his number three we've got him down in the uh lower extremities phrasing right we, we, we've got to use in the knee Right, uh, mine have been all kicks so far, right? Um, there's some knees in this one, and that's another reason why you watch it with the body shots. And not that like headshots, there's not, uh, there's nuances in everything to Miguel's point, right? Like the headshot, uh, it's you know we see more one shot KOs by head than body, sure, but those are set up by something. And not only do you have that setup context as well that goes into the body shots, but you also have that attritional aspect too, right? To where the finish might not have been, been from one strike, but they might have been hit by like some other key st- different strikes at different parts of the body at different points of the fight. And this one, you get a bunch of different stuff. You've got knees, you've got body punches, but this one is a ground and pound body stop. One that came to mind was a really popular title fight of a fighter we may have recently mentioned at welterweight i think that one comes to mind but when i went back to rewatch that one i don't want to burn it in case someone wants to make a case but i i, I felt it was more of the uh, ground uh, to the tr- traditional ground and pound um whereas this one you get body ground and pound you get body elbows that's right it's little nog antonio Ruggiero noguera defeating tito ortiz at ufc 140 which i believe was machita jones was headlining that card and yeah, Little Nog just came out, and uh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what the odds were on this one, but boy, did he just put it to Tito. Tito pushes against the cage for the for like the first minute or so, but as soon as uh, Little Nog can create separation, uh, he times so, so, uh, you know, maybe not, you know, uh, maybe not a, a you know a, a Anderson Silva on Bonner that we recently uh, you know went over but it was a really good knee and you know it might not even have been as good as Machida on Ortiz but of course Machida you know kind of showed that Ortiz with his big head like he's he's hard to knock out with the head you've got to go like crazy Chuck Liddell flurries but if you go to the body which Chuck didn't need to do but but uh, little knock did he actually was able to crumple and drop uh, Tito a lot sooner now the fight doesn't get stopped because again, it's it's body shots, and you know everyone's like, oh, the it's just body shots; they don't hurt. Uh, Tito's actually like done from that point on, and uh, and the ref just lets him just kind of just keep get taking beatings. Like little Nog is literally like working each side. Like let me work this side with punches, this side with punches, this side with elbows, this side with elbows, <laughs> and Tito is just in agony in agony like you almost see the ref like go like oh wait is it should i treat this like a verbal tap submission because 
it either goes your dead, make it stop, knockout. How most MMA, uh, you know, especially if you're in commissions like Texas or Brazil, still go by for their stoppages. Um, or it's like, you know, are we in submission territory? Like again, it's for some reason when it comes to ground and pound and body shots, that's where you see some of the most egregious stoppages happen when they're involving one or both of them, right? And this one, you get both of them. It's not an egregious stoppage. It's not recognized that way. I'm not necessarily trying to make that case. But the point is, the body thing, the body shots were so crippling um, that Tito, and this was like a classic thing of Tito. Like, he really stretched out his last contract, his last contractual fights with the UFC. And he was doing a lot of the classic Tito things. Like, oh, I had a, you know... Uh, you know, I, I, I would have been better for my L7. You know, I was dealing with an L8. I just want to thank the, the crowd because they know I was dealing with my L10. I also had a fractured skull. And, like, he would he would literally just steal away, like, he could lose. And it was the worst because, like, he was fighting in the days where we had the whole deuses, which I like. But you would have Tito, and he would suck all the air out of the room. Like, I would legitimately want to hear from the fighters and, like, what's next for BJ Penn or whatever. And it was just Tito all about himself. Yo, little Nog whooped his ass so bad that if you go back and watch his post fight, like it's the most humble Tito post fight that I remember. He's like, yeah, he just beat, he beat me up. Yeah, like Tito can barely breathe. He's like, he he whooped my ass. He's a, he's a world champion. Like Tito was like, I've never heard him this respectful. And then I, I'm like, let me listen to the end because he's gotta he's gotta slip in like some L seven or some L L something in here, right? Nothing. Like that's how that's how like to me that that almost makes that almost drives the point home. That's how bad he got beat up. That's how effective body shots were. Tito didn't even have an excuse for it. Yeah, that's I, I think you're right. It's like he just took so much damage to the body. All it's like humbled him basically. <laughs> and that's I I really love that you put uh, ground and pound finish here like body shots because that's again it's uniquely MMA. You don't see it in other combat sports, of course. And there's a lot of variety to how Little Nog was able to to get to materialize this finish because you know like there's a lot of times where, where Tito's trying to control his posture, he's re- reaching up, trying to grab behind the neck and things like that, and Nogera is doing the normal thing of just throwing right hooks to the body, but then you know it's the elbows to the body too that are, are so cool because it's you just don't see that very often. And that's what ultimately leads to the finish. But and it doesn't take much, uh, you know. But he's just controlling uh, a bit of Tito's hands, and then just raining down these elbows. And then he's just going back and forth between the elbows and the right hooks. And it, it's another one that's actually tough to watch a little bit, you know, like you yeah. said, because of the sustained beatdown. You knew it was over way before that, but then he just keeps hitting him. And then you see too, like when Nogara starts to. He knows the first time he hurts him that he's hurt him to the body on that um, on Tito's uh, left side, right? Because he's laying down on the right side. Yeah, yeah. And then you just see him just gradually increase the number of strikes he throws to that side. Like he just increasingly targets exactly where he had hurt him, and it just you know eventually Tito's essentially on his side with that side up, and yeah. <laughs> Nogueras just raining down elbows directly to him, and it's it's hard to watch. But yeah, ground and pound. Uh, to the body is awesome. And that, that's something I think that I was even thinking about this when I was breaking down um, Yuri Prohaska versus Alex Pereira for Bloody Elbow, that when he when when Yuri was on top, um, he struggled with Pereira um, trying, you know, basically having those long, strong arms reaching mm-hmm. up and being able to kind of get his arms in and block the shots to the head. 
But Yuri did. Yuri could have like done watching this fight because he yeah. just if he would have mixed it up with to the body, he probably could have kept that position and done some damage. Wore, wore out Pereira there, but he was head hunting on the ground. And it's like you always hear the, like the classic thing: it's body, body, head, mm. body, body, head. But that's that's a thing for a reason because when you're on your back and you're trying to defend strikes, it actually is hard to defend both at the same time from your back because. You're trying to control posture. You're trying to wrap things up. If you come over top of the arms to try and stop them from punching to your head, they'll punch yeah. you to the body. And if you come underneath, then they'll punch you to the head. So it's it's it is a real thing. It, it, no matter how much you hear it, no matter how classic it is in MMA, it is just the right strategy for ground and pound. Oh, Yuri, especially because that's a great parallel because he's got long arms, and long arm guys do the best uh, body ground ground and pound, violent ground and pound mm-hmm. slash body ground and pound like. Go watch uh, Rick Glenn in WSOF, his older fights. Um, he is some vicious ground and pound. Uh, you see... Uh, Shaft Mar- Cat. Yeah, Shaft Cat, yep. Shaft Cat. Uh, also coming out of that gym, uh, or, 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 or trained in that gym before Usman, if you watch his fight with Burns. Uh, I think I just randomly off the cuff called it like just like, almost like a waterfall punch, like the way you came down with it, and he would just kind of punch down into it. Um, and like it, it forced a similar reaction from Tito, who was actually... I think he's originally hurt on his left side slash sternum because on the replay, the knee that Little Nog lands, like even re- uh, commentary is like, I wouldn't even be surprised if that thing cracked a rib. And, you know, and that was standing before any of that took place. And I think that's why he's so much, he's so willing to give his left side, which lines oh, okay. up uh, Nog's yeah. rights. Because then if you look, it, once he goes back with like a, a small little left hook in the finishing sequence, he really, it really, it almost brings back that old pain that he was trying to protect. And he reacts extra bad to it and it's that reaction that finally cues off the ref to be like oh i think he's really really hurt he's not just making faces like yeah no he's been hurt the whole time like stop it it's bad um but yeah that was uh, that was my number three to cap that off and and oh another thing about the yuri example which was good that guy knows how to go to the body because that's kind of how he finished glover he submitted him but glover himself goes he was it was actually uh, the body work from yuri in previous rounds i couldn't recover from is, is what Glover, mm. you know, credits. So it's not like Yuri, to your point, you know, isn't aware and can't work the body. If, if you you just, you know, incorporate that, that's a something to think about from that position. All right, number two. What is your number two, Miguel? What do we got? Yeah, so I went with another uh, ground and pound finish. And, um, yeah, like you said, this one is one that there's a lot of other ground and pound going on. Uh but again, my bias slips in here. So it's GSP versus Matt Sarah too. Um, this is a year after GSP uh, lost to Sarah. Uh, Sarah had been out with dude, filming the Ultimate Fighter, and he had an injury. And GSP, in the meantime, just looked uh, absolutely monstrous in his two fights against Koscheck and um, and against Hughes. Matt Hughes. Yeah. And he just, yeah, yeah. So then. In this fight, it's really interesting because he pretty much, you know, he sets the blueprint in round one for how, how to beat Sarah. Like, he can hit reactive doubles, no problem, when Sarah's charging in. And he can pass Sarah's guard, and he can get to side control. And then Sarah is going to turtle when he gets to side control every time. And then GSP can get the wrist ride, and he can start trying to land shots. But then what he struggled in the first round was trying to find a way to land damage from that position from you know wrist ride turtle it's really hard when somebody is turtling to to strike their head and not the back of their head Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's like he's trying to find ways around it and 
Right as the buzzer sounds at the end of round one, you see GSP stand up and land a knee to the side of Sarah. And it's like, at that moment, it's kind of like an aha moment. Like, oh, okay, like, this is a possibility. And so round two, you know, like, there's a lot of other stuff that happens in between. And GSP, you know, eventually gets, you know, gets him down again. Similar passes his guard, similar position, gets him to turtle up. And he's trying to go back to that. Um, that ground and pound trying to hit around Sarah when he's covering up in turtle. And then, yeah, he goes back to that success he had at the end of round one. He just kind of quickly stands up around him and then just starts nailing him to the side with knees. And this is something that it's like, it's so, it's so cool. It's so unique. And it's another one that's so brutal. It's yeah. There's a lot of other stuff. He was wearing Sarah out with a lot of stuff. And if it wasn't these strikes, it would have been something else that eventually finished Sarah. But it's the, yeah, just the kind of the nails in the coffin and the creativity of it. And the fact that it's like, I still, I can't think of another time I've, I've really seen this, you know? So it's, it still kind of stands out as being unique. And maybe it's just because Sarah was, you know, he, he didn't try and scramble. He didn't try and move. But it's just kind of like also the kind of, you know, like I said, this is the, the period where I started watching MMA. So it just it, it locks in my mind. It's just something so cool to happen that I haven't seen since then. And uh, just really, you know, this is when GSP's reign started, you know, like as an like his second time as the champion wouldn't lose it again. You know, I think it was what nine fights in a row that he yeah. won at that point. And it's just so cool, like that he started it by finishing somebody with knees to the body while they are turtled. And you know, maybe it's one of those things that we don't see anymore because uh, people, this fight was so famous, and that everybody knows I can't just hang out and turtle anymore. You've seen some things, like I think um, Khalil Roundtree has kicked people in the body yeah. when they are turtling up. You know, so that that's a possibility too. So it's like. But people know nowadays, like, I can't just turtle, you know, because yeah. the body is open when you're turtling. And I think GSP kind of showed everybody that. I love that you mentioned the Roundtree one because that came up in my line of thinking when I was breaking down this fight. Um, because, you know, knees, kicks, uh, you know, body work not emphasized enough in general from the position, but especially on the ground, but from turtle position – and it seems like is is it's obvious. And with the Khalil, the more brutal one, um, you know, you obviously you know you think of him for that. But it almost connects with his GSP one because it's like it's like born from a similar animal. And because this was you know earlier in the sport and in like the heyday, the golden era of the sport, you know, um, it's burned into our memories. Like even the GSP Affliction shirt series after this fight, I remember being burnt in because I went and did a traveling by myself throughout Europe, like right around UFC 90, I remember. Um, I believe right around that time, maybe-ish. And I remember just seeing like, oh, like if I would see someone with a George St. Pierre shirt or something, like that was actually pretty common. Usually someone, usually a traveling Canadian or something, but I'd be like, okay, I could go talk to this person. They probably know, you know, mixed martial arts or whatever. And, you know, he was, uh, you know, I don't know, icon, symbol, or whatever the, the, these words are too dramatic. I don't know, but for what the sport was, he was he was the closest you got. You know, as far as that that went. You know, he had Anderson, of course, at, at the time, and uh, this was huge, man. Him getting his title back from Sarah, the biggest upset, you know, UFC history. It's still today, but much less then. Sixty nine to now, this is UFC eighty three, right? You know, it was only fourteen UFCs later. Um, and yeah, this was really big. And you had the Bell Center, so you have one of the most notorious, you know, as far as MMA venues go, 
in history, one of the most notorious live audiences that made every GSP takedown feel like a knockout punch. You know, that was just his takedowns, you know. Um, so this just felt extra huge because according to people who were there, uh, this is the loudest it ever got, the Bell Center GSP, as far as that, like, whole run goes. Like, this is the one they point to. Like, and it was probably at its fever pitch at this very ending sequence that you break down. You know, as well as end of round one, by the way, you get a huge pop from the audience with that knee or that first one, right? But then the finishing one, it was... It was just brutal, and like I, I get why you don't see people reenacting BJ Penn versus, uh, you know, Rodrigo Gracie or Henzo Gracie, where he's doing those weird in both those fights, those half guard knees, where he's using the BJ Penn flexibility. You're like, okay, that's a weird BJ Penn thing, but you're like, you know, I, I, why don't you see this more? You know, uh, unless you're really gonna, you know, unless you're a back take specialist, if the guy's gonna use the cage to get up anyways, it feels like there's at least one free shot every transition, but. We don't see very many people take it. Yeah, and it's it's funny. I just to go back a second to the uh, sort of affliction T-shirt yeah. era because you know that's the era that you're talking about. That, sure. Um, it's it's such it it really does still stand up as such a peak in the sport, um, and it's such a an an important transition time too because it really felt like that was a time when uh, you really got like GSP was part of this where you had athletes, you know. You had guys that were professional athletes who were um, training, and they, you know, it wasn't just uh, kind of the Chuck Liddell, Mohawk tattoo era with the ice flame shorts or whatever. It was like these guys are like proper athletes. We could get some sponsors. We could get on, uh, you know, we could get mainstream kind of a thing. But the affliction was a funny one because I had, I also had three affliction shirts in my uh, days in uh, high school. And what people don't remember is that those things were really expensive. Yes. <laughs> but the, the material was nice. But, like, uh, I had a Randy Couture affliction shirt, nice. of course, there because of the first UFC I watched was Randy Couture. I had a GSP one, and I had a Caro the Heat Parisian one. <laughs> nice. The Caro ones. I remember the Caro ones. Hey, man, my lineage is from Caro, so uh, I, I, I respect that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, Carl only gave one black belt, and that was to Neil Melanson. Neil Melanson's only gave, I think, four now. Randy Couture, Frank Trigg, a guy named Patrick Bijan, who was my former roommate, and ah, Rorschach. Uh, he's a he's a he's a, a long time uh, he big upset win over Bill the Grill Cooper, one of the first EBIs back in the day. Um, but yeah, uh, Rorschach. Uh, his name's a uh, Jake something. I'm forgetting. Sorry, Jake. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, but that's uh, that's um, yeah. And then you know, because because Neil trained at Highestan, which of course was Gokor Trevichin and of Gene Labelle. So you have the you know judo and sambo. Hence, you get a lot of the leg locks and uh, a really tough gym with some very very interesting stories back in the day. Um, but yeah, sorry. Yeah, that is that. interesting. Cool. I didn't That's know cool. that that was your uh, lineage there. Yeah, yeah. it was. Caro uh, was like one of my early favorites, just because it's like I think seeing somebody get thrown is like still to this day. Like yeah. this is why I got into sumo too. It's like still just like one of my absolute favorite things to see is it to is see cool. somebody just get tossed and just. A few UFCs after um, I started watching uh, was UFC 71, which was uh, Quentin Jackson versus Chuck Liddell. And uh, the co-main was Carl Parisian versus Josh Berkman, and he just tossed him around in that fight. And it was just like, you know, one of the coolest things I've ever seen. 
I remember that. George St. Pierre and Caro is an underrated fight too, folks, by the way. And you see some underrated oh, turtle love tactics. That fight. Like Caro uh, uh, actually almost wins the fight from Turtle. You know, he's he's uh, he almost does a he does a turtle sweep to a, a kick to a Kimura. It's beautiful. Um, it's a real fun, real real uh, high level for the time grappling exchanges. Young GSP. Um, no, that's great, man. We're gonna move it on to my number two. It definitely doesn't involve any classic fighters like that. It's just a really cool knockout. Now with the Shane Campbell one, I was like. Oh, I'm already thinking ahead of my article. I'm like, okay, someone already had to have clipped this one, right? And then, of course, the first Shane Campbell knockout uh, is um, this one. I don't know if there is, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make one because it's just it's. And I, I already know the title of the tweet. It's just gonna say this knockout is not talked about enough, and it's not even that crazy or that long ago. It shouldn't be that hard to remember, but I feel like we should still be talking about it a lot more. And that is C.R. Badrzada defeating Luan Chagas. C.R. the Great. Afghanistan, baby. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, this this took place at UFC Fight Night 128, April 21st, 2018. Was that the uh, Cub Swanson, um, Frankie Edgar fight, too, I believe? Maybe in New Jersey? I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, C.R. Badrzada, people that don't know, this is an Afghan uh, refugee. He came up, though, in the more of the Dutch uh, Netherlands um, MMA scene. So even though he uh, definitely was a more uh, Muay Thai sprawling slugger, would be the best way I could describe him off the top of my head, he did train with a lot of Dutch Muay Thai uh, folks. So, I mean, this guy could go to the body. He went to all levels. He, he wasn't pretty, but he could strike, right? He had the durability and the knockout power, which are prerequisites if you've got sloppy technique. Um, again, no formal wrestling in like Afghanistan or anything like that. This guy came on MMA Junkie Radio though, and again, especially this time of the, you know, uh, with everything going on in the world, parts of the world is some of the the, the most amazing, you know, some of the not most amazing because there's there are some horrific stories, but some of the most eye-opening things you could do as a human being if you, you yourself do not have the experience or cannot go to these places or substitute that obvious experience. Um, Man, uh, does he make me feel uh, grateful uh, for the privileged upbringing I had with the stuff that this guy had to see and go through. Um, but that, and I only bring that up because it may it makes you almost more of a fan of these people, you know. At least for me, somebody that goes through real life adversities and crazy stuff. And I don't know who this guy is as a character. Um, I just knew that he was a uh, he was a really fun fighter to watch that went through a lot of stuff uh, to get there. Luan Chagas was. Um, you know, he had a cup of coffee in the UFC. They brought him in for some Brazil shows. Uh, I think he had a memorable draw that he probably shouldn't have to, with, I believe, Sergio Marias to start his career. Uh, this came after that. And I believe Ch Chagas was even favored. Bahadur Zada was kind of inactive. Um, but, uh, and you get a, you get a really fun fight. Like, I believe the, the finish is coming around two or three, but you can watch this whole fight. It, 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 it's a good watch. Um, and it's pretty back and forth, but Bahadur Zada comes out in round three, and just, and again, another liver shot, which I don't have to apologize, you guys should expect from me, but I am double dipping with the front kick here, but this is why, because you get the front kick liver shot, right, and you, you always hear the timber on a knockout, right, it can almost be played out, but this is like number one if we're talking about timber knockouts for me, because... Literally, Chagas doubles over holding his belly and just slowly timbers forward. And it would have been a clean tree fall timber if 
Bahar Derzada doesn't decide right in the middle of it to just get a quick uppercut. He actually knocks him unconscious on the way down. And I know that's not a body shot, but the fight was already done. And the fact that he was able to steal in a body shot in between him hitting the ground and before the ref could get there cleanly for a sloppy striker, like it was just so beautiful. Um, it, it's just it's such a crazy knockout. And he, he would have hit the ground just in pain like all these other stoppages we're talking about. But he just hits the ground and he just like is just knocked out unconscious while like frozen holding his belly still. It's so crazy looking. Do you remember this one, Miguel? Yeah, of course. I this is another one I revisited in anticipation of this and it's like the uppercut that he, he lands on him that puts him unconscious, it's like almost a mercy because then he doesn't have to stay conscious and feel the pain of his liver <laughs> shutting down. It's like it's better to just go out at that point. But this is this has all the elements like we talked about with the other uh, front kick to the body that are just perfect where it's like he lands perfectly with the ball of the foot on the liver and it's like stabs him and then you see that delayed reaction when he drops down. And also it's the perfect thing where he tries to defend it. Uh, he, he thinks some sort of a kick is coming and he's raising his leg and the front kick just pierces right through like all of the defenses and finds the target. And it's it's so hard to defend against. And he was throwing a lot of other body shots here too, so it is a little bit of accumulation and uh mm -hmm. but yeah. it's that perfect one there too that just like digs the ball of the foot into the liver and just shuts it down and then thankfully mercifully he puts him out cold with the follow-up shot so he doesn't have to sit there writhing in pain yeah man it was crazy this was his last win too the last ufc win um but uh what a what a win it was uh you know he you know he was uh he was <laughs> He was a, you know, he's he's a bald Afghan guy, and he had kind of a, a belly. He almost looked like that yellow bastard from Sin City, uh, and so it made it. And I'm not trying to be mean. I say that because for me, it makes it makes you extra endearing to me when you don't look like a traditional like, b b you know, beefed up fighter, and you're just going out there and just like wrecking wrecking people, and not afraid to just swing with people. Uh, I don't know. He's just one of those weird uh, weird cats that I love to watch fight for whatever reason. Yeah. That's a, a really great shout, by the way. I'm glad you put this one on the list. Just because it has all of those like aesthetic elements that make it like the perfect body shot finish. Yeah, I knew this one had to had to be on my list, and uh, I'll, 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 I'll touch on someone else who had it on their list when we get the listener list. But Miguel, take us home with your number one, sir. All right, so this is a pure bias pick. <laughs> but um, I had to put basically my favorite fighter at number one. Um, and it's a guy that you already shouted out. And I just, thankfully, I chose a different finish. I chose Mirko Krokop versus Heath Herring as my number one. And there's, there's a bit of historical reason that goes into this. I love the finish, too. But, you know, Krokop coming in this fight, he'd only had six fights. He has four wins, two draws. Meanwhile, Heath Herring is 20-8. and eight. I think we, people tend to remember Heath Herring as, you know, the guy who got steamrolled by Brock Lesnar or something like yeah, that. But yeah. at this time, he had beaten people like I Igor Vovchanchin and Mark Kerr. Um, he was tossing it up with Vitor and Big Nog and, and Fedor. And he was a top 10 heavyweight at the time. And, you know, like a, a lot of Krokop's previous opponents like uh, Fujita, Sakuraba, uh, Wanderlei, Takata, they all like were able to get him down at some point. So it felt like inevitable that somebody was going to take him down and beat him up. And why not like a big heavyweight, like he, a big top 10 heavyweight like Heath Herring. But, you know, 
this fight is so fun because Heath Herring is just he, he he's doing the MMA thing where he's standing ten feet away from the guy who can strike, and then he just tries to charge at Krokop to like land strikes or try and take him down. But then Krokop is just playing the matador, and so he's just like expertly like uh, pivoting. You know, like uh, sidestepping out of the way and just Herring is kind of like flying all over the place. And it's on one of these lunges where Herring, like, just he's he's standing outside of range. He tries to lunge forward and Krokop just times him with that south paw kick to the liver. But what I really like about this one, uh, I, I'm I'm really happy that you put the Magomed up on there too because it's great too. Um, I, I was going back and forth about which one I wanted right. to put. Um, yeah, same. Uh, but I, re- I really like this one because because of the fact that Herring is running forward, Mirko actually lands basically with all shin to the liver. Like it's like his shin digs into his side, and then it's one of the, it's like it recoils Herring back, and then he takes a few steps and and just like crumbles down. And it's unfortunately it's one of the ones where Krokop had to finish him with some ground and pound. Herring wasn't doing anything; he was out from the kick for sure. He was not getting back up from that. And it's like. If this was boxing, sometimes boxing gets prettier sort of body shot finishes because it's really hard to get up in 10 seconds from a body shot. It's actually easier to just survive on the ground and turtle. But yeah. in boxing, they make you like you've got to stand up and it's like impossible to stand up after getting hit from the liver. So it's way more likely that you'll just get a clean finish in boxing because of that, because they make you stand up. Um, but yeah, this is also like it's. Uh, and significant too because herring is actually super durable like he this is his only finish due to strikes actually because he's had some other tko losses but two of them were to doctor stoppages one of them was to exhaustion one of them was a knee injury so out of his five tko losses this was the only time and all the killers that he faced like fedor like i said and like uh vitor and, and big nog this is the only time He's been stopped due to strikes, and it's because it's because Krokop uh, kicked him in the liver. And this is like, and uh, also this is the start of Krokop's career of kicking people to death, basically. And so this is like, you know, because he hadn't finished anybody with kicks up until this point in MMA. He's just, you know, new into it. So this is the birth of, you know, um, right leg hospital, left leg cemetery. Yeah, I, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but I know the year is the year I graduated high school, 2003. So, depending on when this takes place in the year, I might have still even been in high school, which is insane. And uh, what I love about that is I went back to watch this one, and I'll fill in the blanks here too as well, like the uh, just uh, some production silly stuff because you covered it so well. But um, it's classic, like uh, Boss Rutten, and I don't know if it's Morrow uh, or or or, or uh, Quadros. But they're at the bar with I all the Japanese girls. Yeah, yeah. And they're all, they're all at the bar with the Japanese girls for that skit, that pre-recorded skit. But I'm just like, it's funny because like when you hear Boss hungover, because some of these he's more hungover than others on, on depending on what, what pride you watch. And you're like, you know why? Because especially in, in back in these days, like they were really making him like, he was like, clear these beers out, clear these beers out. And they were almost getting like sad that they had to make a pick because you could tell like even though this was this was an early version like Heath Herring is really young looking folks he's got one of his he always had cool hair but he has one of the best fire haircuts by the way if you go back and watch this fight it's a very young crow cop too but even then like they're already close to these guys and they're like we're not making a pick we're not making a pick there's gonna be action though but we're not making a pick (laughs) 
<laughs> like, like, but they were very excited because, like, uh, Miguel was saying, this was his first top ten opponent. Like, yeah, he, he did fa- face guys like Vanderlei were huge, but you forget that first fight with Vanderlei. It was a mixed rules fight. Like, he wasn't doing full MMA full time. He still, in fact, had uh, aspirations to win the K1 heavyweight Grand Prix while while still competing at this time. Uh, it was something he was very open about. And back to the top 10 thing, this was his first top 10 test, you know, and Herring was a guy who wasn't a ground specialist, but he could fight on the ground on paper a lot more than a, a lot more than Krokop could. So this was a, this was a really big deal and a really big test for Krokop's career. Yeah, it was a great choice. Great yeah. choice there. All right, I'm glad. I'm. I'm. I'm oh, I hope I didn't burn step on that one too much early. Cause that's a that's a really good one. You had a really good setup for that. And yeah, I forget. That's right. You know, Heath Herring. He he was super durable. Like again, why why the liver kick is uh, it, there is no except no substitutes, folks. Okay, so my number one is. Uh, I don't know if I'm leaning too much into bias because I I love this. I do love this fighter, but this is a very typical. Hipster analysts, uh, I would have figured it was so, uh, you know, uh, you know, the equivalent of uh, Jose Aldo, Chaz Mendez, two on a list. Like, of course you're going to have it on there. Of course it's going to be high. Um, but, yeah, I've been real I've been real kick-friendly. You know I me, mean? I, I, I love a good body punch. I love a good liver punch, a good left hook to the liver. Uh, I reference uh, the Mickey Ward Arturo Gotti series and one of the closest is, we get to just some perfect boxing form left hook livers as Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens, of course. UFC on Fox 30, uh, July 28th, 2018. Not just of the picturesque technique that could earn the number one spot, just with no context. We could have two blank images doing it, and you're just like, that is beautiful, right? But yes, it's two fighters that I like. You know, Jeremy Stevens, uh, I always had love for Jeremy Stevens as well. Uh, he to me, especially at this point of his career, folks, you forget he was actually technically favored. Um, it might have been a sadness hedge pick, but I, I probably picked Jeremy Stevens. I can't remember, but I'll just say I did because it adds context to this. Where I think you know Jeremy Stevens never got the credit he deserved, which you know it does a discredit and disservice to him, but also for fights like this and who his opponent was like Aldo, what Aldo accomplished as well. Um, if you underrate a guy like Jeremy Stevens, Jeremy Stevens at this point of his career, you know he'd been around for a while though he wasn't a prime Jeremy Stevens, right? He debuts. He, Jeremy Stevens debuts against Din Thomas, who was on the broadcast now, folks. So they go and cut to um, on uh, Liddell Jackson one. Was it UFC seventy one or whatever? Like Le, Chuck Liddell is essentially still the UFC champion when Jeremy Stevens UFC debuts, right? So this guy is in no way in his prime, but if you properly contextualize his career. The calf kicks that he was, you know, chewing up uh, Gilbert, uh, not Gilbert Burns, uh, uh, Gilbert Melendez with, um, some of the fights that he was having and whatnot. Like he was essentially at this point knocked out Josh Emmett. He was a, I, I described him as the junkyard dog uh, who figured out how to work his own chain. You know, he was always that junk. One of the many junkyard dogs the UFC kept chained out and back. You know, roaming the division, but he learned how to work his own chain at a certain point. So even though it, it it seems extra crazy now to be like, what? Jose Aldo was even money, much less dog money to German, Jeremy Stevens? That is just insane. Um, that's what it was because that's what the context was. Jose Aldo, you know, ha- had been around for a while too. But the miles were just as apparent on his career on paper 
but even as well as spoke beyond paper from what we were seeing, is Aldo's shot. Does he have it any left in him? Now he's going against a big puncher who who could and used to fight at 155, right? Like, this is the small cage. It's action. You know, it's only three rounds, so we'll get more of an active Aldo. But, you know, do we really want Aldo in a firefight? Is that who he is? Is that where he's best, right? And regardless of what his game plan in there, Jeremy Stevens did his part and forced it as best he could. Um, there are some moments, especially against the fence, where you're just really worried for Aldo. He's 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 leaning on his head movement, and you, we've seen this before. And and you know, I know it's not Max Holloway, Jeremy Stevens, but can Jeremy Stevens put him out if he keeps pouring him on? And um, of course, Aldo, especially when you're watching it without the emotions and you know the result already, you can see with sober eyes uh, that he is weathering the storm. He is circling when he needs to, resetting it. And is able just to find, just again, a picturesque, like the duchy that he made himself famous for, but without the leg kick, because you don't even need it. You just needed the cross to give you that hooking leverage that we were talking about earlier with the chart, with the George Hardwick selection, uh, even though it was a different punch selection. Uh, but Aldo really whips his, and he does a left hook, of course, for his selection. He really whips it, and uh, you get the reaction from Jeremy Stevens you're forced to do the you know uh, a billion punches for a follow-up but again i still counted and counted as number one because we know what did the damage we know what ended the fight we know what mma is and you have to you know if he's still breathing if he's still alive then it's not a it's not a knockout uh, <laughs> um but yeah this was a body shot knockout if you ask me um predictable but that's my number one miguel yeah i i love it and i Probably the only reason this didn't end up on my list is because I was sure that you would have it on your list and we would get <laughs> to man. talk about it. Because I am also huge Aldo Stan, and it's it is tough to describe just how like wary as an Aldo as Aldo fans we were going into this these fights. It's it's never great look as a champion when you know you have lost three of your last four fights by knockout. Yeah. After a long career, and a, a lot of people see Aldo's age, and they always confuse like it with him being in his prime because he started so young. But the guy started in 2004, so like when he lost to Conor McGregor, he was already 11 years into his career, and yep. this was three years after that. So he was yeah, 14 years into his career or, or something like that. So he was slowing down. He was like um, after all the years of training, after all the years of cutting weights and uh, all the fights that he had, you know, like over 30 fights at this point. So, yeah, he was starting to slow down. You could see that, especially with his defense. And and even in the fight, like you said, it didn't you didn't know where it was going to go because Aldo was getting hit way more than he usually does. And especially against somebody like Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy's great. And but Aldo was like sublime defensively and, you know, and get sustained combinations off and he was kind of going toe-to-toe with one of the hardest punchers in the division. So it was like, and, you know, his his mouth was open. He thought he might get tired. And then, yeah, like you said, he just, like, whips this super nasty left hook to the liver. And the rest of it, like you said, it's just, it's icing on the cake. Or it's unnecessary, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's I, th- I think where it is in in the career of Aldo also, like, puts it as a deserving number one too because it's it's so hard to like frame just how impressive Aldo's second half of his career is. I, I mean people will look at yeah. it and be like, 
well, he went five and five after losing to Holloway the second time or something like that. So it's our five and four. And a lot of people say that's not really impressive, but this is essentially the closest we've gotten in MMA to like Roberto Duran's post prime career. Yeah. Duran is moving up to middleweight and, and winning a title off of Iran Barkley. It's like, that's, he didn't win a title at Bantamweight, but he beat two top 10 featherweight contenders and then like fought for a title competed very well against Peter Jan in one of the coolest fights we've ever seen right. and then beat three top bantamweights after that after he's already been 17 years or so into his MMA career it's absolutely insane i don't i don't know when john jones started fighting i think 2008 or something like that so john jones is what 15 years into his MMA career now yep. so like think of think about if john jones like had another 2 years of beating top you know top 10 contenders and and at a like ferocious division like bantamweight is insane yeah i was gonna so, say yeah, imagine to, him doing it a division it where people level. were good <laughs> yeah exactly not like uh yeah some of the, the heavyweights he's been fighting or even light heavyweights yeah 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 no totally that's that's a great i love the roberto duran uh comparison absolutely because and it's crazy too because not just where he's at in his career and crying in emotion like you could see like he almost couldn't believe he did it you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying like like that emotion really adds to it that really saved us too then he goes on and beats you know other guys like Moicano and Stevens and Moicano are featherweights like at the time but they are natural lightweights who will and did uh, finish their careers up in those divisions and will finish their careers up in those divisions whilst Aldo like you said actually moved down where again your speed um, all these things are more at a premium right like 11 years into your career uh, as crazy as that is, or 14 years into your career, is different than 11 or 14 years into your career as a light heavyweight or a heavyweight. I mean, he is he is uh, where your life expectancy and span goes down. And without even looking off the top of my head, it wasn't just like, oh, he was on a losing streak or lost most of his fights. Even the fights that he won in his, air quotes, prime uh, title defense run, a lot of those were decisions. Like, before this, without looking, I believe you would have to go back to a, an injury stoppage victory over Korean Zombie before you go to his last stoppage victory. So there was a lot of us that were like torchbearers of the Aldo of old, not just wanting him to get back on track, but we haven't even really seen that like vintage finishing performances since his early UFC and WEC days. And then he brings it back in like a post-prime era. He brings the finishing Aldo, three-round Aldo back. Like it was, I mean, yeah, this was a special one. Yeah, and, and another thing, like we talked about with Heath Herring, Jeremy Stevens, incredibly hard to finish, super tough. Yes. I think he had only been stopped once before by Eve Edwards up up until this point, and maybe he got stopped once afterwards by Calvin yep. Cater, but otherwise a super long career, you know, again, like more than 50 fights, and Aldo's one of three times that he was finished with strikes. So, Absolutely. yeah, not easy to do. And it's, again, the liver it doesn't lie. <laughs> if you hit it, you will go down. Dude, and those were some – and the other two stoppages were, like, some of the most brutal stoppages, too. Like, that was a super violent one, the Calvin Cater one. Um, and, like, the first pandemic show back, right, that UFC 249 where it was, like, Ferguson, where we got to see the death of Tony Ferguson uh, drawn out for five rounds. Um, it was that card. And then – uh, speaking of Jeremy, poor Jeremy Stevens, he makes he's the victim in my number one for uh, body shot KOs. 
and for top five uh, hook KOs that I did with Connor Rebush because I had the Eves Edwards with the best check kick hook KO in history. Of course, he's on the wrong end of that. Like these are shots that are like perfect shots, number ones on lists, shots that would have like KO'd anybody. If, you know, to your durability point. Yeah, it's a deserving number one for sure. And another, it, it's good that in our list we can represent so many guys that are just straight up like you know top ten goats. I mean. I, mm. I like if we ever did it like a, a show of rating, you know, pound for pound, it's the hardest thing to do. Although it is my number one, but I would, you know, I don't, I don't argue to uh, vehemently if, against other people that rate different people because rating people pound for pound, greatest of all time, super hard, especially when a bunch of them are still competing. So, but for me, yes. nobody did it better than Aldo. Thank you for saying that, by the way, because I know, uh, you know, our outlet definitely took a lot of crap lately trying to do a, a, an impossible task like that. But, yeah, you guys know me. I'm a big uh, Aldo fan. I, I represent the uh, the hardcores, the real ones, as best I can, hopefully. So hopefully we did a decent job. We'll clean up the rest and get to your list right now with listener lists. Uh, again, at the PYN Podcast, follow, like on all social platforms to contribute, at Dan Tom MMA here. Um, Gino, at SiegelBurner69. I like that like that handle. Uh, he has Anderson Bonner. He's with you there. Good one. Um, I like this. This is a low-key called Noke Sabata. That happened, I believe, at the epic UFC 193 where Ronda Rousey got killed uh, by Holly Holm. That happened. That was the prelim headliner, Kyle Noke versus Peter Sabata, which is uh, essentially a German Benoit Saint-Denis. Uh, it's the same same guy, kind of, uh, except yeah. not as cool as Benoit Saint-Denis. I think that's another one where, I, if I remember right, was there an audible grunt when he kicked him in the body? There was I an audible grunt and an audible him. snap. Yeah. That was like, you know, like... Yes. There's the there's like, oh yeah, there probably was. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Tito's sternum snapped or whatever, or, you know, broke his chest. You know, you heard Faber complain about that with Aldo. Uh, you hear commentators interject that, but like, this is like, not even like what we think. Like, you heard a visceral... Like, it was a front kick, body kick KO, but it was one of the more violent ones. Like, you could easily have that on a list. Great shot, Gino. Um, oh, yeah, you're John Tuck versus Jake Lindsay. I remember Jake Lindsay, the librarian. He came out with, like, broken glasses, and he was like a... The, the, the broken glasses was like a symbol of him as a fighter because he was... He, he was a fighter back full or got finished, but he was a dude who, like, got finished in spectacular fashion. Like... He crumbled miraculously every time he lost Jake Lindsay. I don't know if you remember, remember that one, but that's a good shout. Tuck versus Lindsay. Um, Barbosa versus Dunham. Of course, I can't I can't have that on there. I love Barbosa, but Dunham's my guy. He was a grappling coach of mine. You actually, he's actually the person. Uh, if you go to at the PYM podcast and the artist formerly known as Twitter, the header photo it's actually Evan Dunham choking me out in a head and arm choke. Trivia. Um, so I got love for Dunham. So I, I but it is, it is a beautiful one though. Um, he 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 is on here for another body shot KO because that was Dunham was really tough. But again, those really tough guys. That's why I say go to the body. They have a really good chin. Chances are you have a better chance at the body. I think that was one, if I remember right, where he kind of like he throws like a round kick right, and it kind of just like catches the toes on the yes, body, yes. and that's what does it. Yep. Exactly. Yep. It's just the toes, and it was the toes and the delay reaction. So you're like, R-. and like, if you're a casual, you're like, oh, he threw the fight. Look, they got, we've got the Zapruder film. But if you know like combat sports and what we've been talking about with just touching and toes, you made that point already multiple times on this show. Like, yeah, it's it's real. It's for real, folks. Um, 
here's one Overeem Lesnar. Now, when I said there was oh, three yeah. se- three selections, the specific ones you nailed, which was GSP Sarah to, or, or Barbosa Hooker and Silva Silva Bonner. Um, but Overeem is a guy where like you could go to his K1 fights, his MMA fights, and you go to random practice footage. Like there is like y- y- you don't think of it necessarily at first, but Overeem, he, I, that guy must. I, I joked about me, you know, getting off. Uh, with body shots, like I feel like Overeem secretly gets off with body shots. Like there's some evil smirk that goes on. Like I can't. I feel like I've seen him drop more. Sp- I feel like there is more spar- Overeem dropping sparring partner footage out there <laughs> with body shots than him dropping body shots with people in fights, which there is a decent amount. So for those two reasons alone, I just didn't even end up with an Overeem on my list. But he deserves to be on the list. Any thoughts with Overeem? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like this is like a. One of the ones, like you said, super hard to watch, too, because it's like per- post-diverticulitis Brock yes. Lesnar getting kicked by Uberim, who is like totally like on the horse beat diet, like as gigantic as possible. And just, yeah, that like open side body kick. And it just, you know, it's another one where Brock is probably a little bit too tough for his own good because he just he was crumbled by the body yeah. kick for sure. Yeah, it was a couple that he got him with. It wasn't even just the one; it was multiple, right? So that was a that was mm-hmm. a brutal one. Isaac Spooner, shouts to Isaac R. Spooner, of course, uh, on Twitter. Uh, good follow on the IG, good dude there. Luke Rockhold versus Costa Filippo. He says made me a hardcore MMA fan. That one. That was a great. That shout. is actually a great one too. Another like great body kick, uh, K- like finish KO. Yeah, one of the greats. Yeah. We shouted out Luke Rockhold's left kick for sure. And as far as his body kick goes, this is this is the one you pick. So that's a great shout. And Costa Filippo, if you guys don't know him, uh, I'm not going to help you anymore with my obscure references and lack of names at the ready. But he looks like this character actor um, who is like from Brooklyn, New York, and he plays like the tattooed gangster in all the movies. Like he's in like King of New York with Walken. He's in a bunch. Of, he's just like that character actor, and he looks like essentially a skinnier version of Costa Filippo with more tattoos. Shouts out. Kyle Mack probably knows exactly. He's probably screaming, screaming at the podcast monitor right now from uh, Combat Chronicles. Uh, Isaac also has, I like this one, Drew Dober versus Rafael Alves. I'll let you guys know in a, in a second here what my rear punch, um, non-liver rear punch would have been. But even though he's a southpaw, but and also especially because he's a southpaw, I love that selection, Isaac. Uh, anything to say on that one, Miguel? Drew Dober and Rafa, yeah, that, Rafael Alves. That's another one where he was... Um... He was he was landing that straight left to the body, and I, I always call that that's like the uh, forgotten like third part of the southpaw double attack is yes. to actually just throw the rear straight to the body because it just mixes so well. It's like if you're going to throw your rear kick both to the body or to the legs and to the head, you should mix up your rear straight as well to yep. the body and to the head. And it's, try, yeah, baby. it's really great because he's 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 pressuring a lot Alves in that fight, and then. Alves just it's like every time he hits him in the body before it's like you know Alves is bricked up and it looks like he can take it but like everything it's like there's the one that lands perfect and it's kind of funny because I remember the commentary like kind of debating about where it landed because uh, Rogan was saying oh it's right to the solar plexus and DC saying oh it's right on that top rib you know that one you get uh, that gets like when you're getting gut wrenched and wrestling it hurts really bad I don't remember exactly where it landed but there's like debate about either way it hurts in that general area to get you know punched by somebody like Drew Dober yeah no absolutely like uh, 
you know, uh, I, I, I remember this thought coming in on this list. I don't know what it connected to, but essentially, people don't realize that they call it the floating rib in that whole area. It's kind of odd how another reason why just to go to the body more. Uh, the human body really doesn't protect well for these organs well as much as you think, um, which is also why like more unorthodox defense like the Bobby Green kind of hands down and kind of the shoulder rolling where even for kicks, this is where shoulder roll actually kind of does work for the kicks, whether he's against a southpaw uh, kicker um, or a orthodox kicker like early in his career, like you go Bobby Green Barbosa or Fazeev, uh, you know, uh, um, both are orthodox, but you know what I mean. They, they kick from both sides. And you'll see he'll give the meat of his back of his arms, the back of his, like, you know, like the the back muscles and that back meat. Because that, oddly enough, that's, I'm like, as unorthodox as it is, I'm like, that's oddly more protection than really what your body naturally offers in the front. Like, your body doesn't offer the greatest protection on the front when you're talking about your lower ribs and down. So, like, back to your point and anybody's point, whether you're southpaw or orthodox, why the rear straight's underutilized, like, that's why. Like, it's it's right there. Um, it's hard to defend both with your guard and your body's natural defenses aren't as great as you think. Like, again, you could be ripped up and still get liver shot. You can be ripped up and you can still get your solar plexus hit. It's not, you can only condition yourself so much, you know, your, your bones are only so are structured, only so strong on these floating rib areas and whatnot. So I get why people talk but about that, but yeah, it's like you can split hairs. It all, it all hurts in that area. It hurts. It hurts. Um, this is a great shout. All right, I'm going to go down his list. Uh, Edson Barbosa versus – oh, Francisco Trinaldo versus Evan Dunham. That was the other Dunham one. That's a that's another good knee one because it was timed so perfectly. Um, what that, that, that was something I looked for, I believe, your selection with Heath Herring. That's what I – uh, I, I believe it has this. The, the Ibrahim Magomedov one doesn't have this. But it, it almost feels like – and I know this is the fact. When you can catch someone to the body, um, not, not just taking their win – both taking their win and pain when they're extending from the rear and you're hitting them to that body side, that same side, it, it almost makes it worse. And you see that in the Heath Herring fight. You see that in a spinning back kick knockout, which I'll talk about, I'm sure, on someone's list here. And you see that with Evan Dunham's. And he's throwing at the same time he's getting that knee to the body. And I guarantee you that 10 x did. That's a brutal one. Yeah, uh, counters are like, it's it's the best time to land to the body. And it's you know, it's why you have to watch your breathing so much when you're, you know, that's why one of the first things you learn when you're in boxing or in striking is um, how to breathe so you don't get the wind knocked out of you and stuff like yeah. that. But it's 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 so easy to just, like, definitely get brutalized when if somebody hits you the body in the middle. And, of course, it's you're the most extended. Your arms are the furthest away from your body. Yes. You're the most vulnerable. So getting hit with a counter knee to the body is one of the worst things in the world. Yeah, and go go look up Masaranduba. Grandpa Trinaldo is one of Evan Dunham uh, for evidence of that. Of course, he has Edson Barbosa versus Dan Hooker. And his hipster pick, shout out to you, Isaac, for using the uh, nomenclature of the show, if you will, or the parlance of the show, however you want to put it. Uh, Arin Aldana versus Jessamyn Duke. There were some headshots in there, too, but whatever. No, that's a great one because not only is it a getting the, the women on the list, right, for the body shot stoppages, um, but that's a upkick. That's that weird upkick one where, you know, Irene Aldana's on her back and she does like kind of like an, an axe kick style upkick to Jessamyn Duke's, uh, or Jessamyn Duke. Are you sure it was a uh, Messi Shison, right? Messi, Messi. K Shison, yeah. Yeah. That's who it was. It wasn't okay. Jessamyn Duke. I, I, I was a little confused there because it was like, I don't remember yeah, sorry about that. that one, but I, I, yeah, I remember the Messi Kieson one, like. Isaac, I think you're getting confused with the with the uh, long uh, long lady the long ladies there. 
Um, shout out to Jessamine Duke, though. She got in, like, pro wrestling and stuff. Hopefully she's doing well. Um, Fenyo, we know this guy. Of course, at Sky. Follow him and uh, support the fight site, by the way. He does excellent custom uh, analysis if you're looking for someone to work with there. He has Pettis vs. Cerrone. This one is definitely uh, was up there for, like, you know, uh, splitting hairs between which which Southpaw liver kick, classic liver kick am I going to go with, right? And Pettis versus Cerrone is a is a solid one. And any comments on that and one? It's, it's always hard to see, like, somebody like Cerrone getting kicked to the body. First of all, because it's uh. like the tall guys always take it the worst. But then, you know, like, it's it's just like you know that his liver is taking a beating or something. It's like Matt Brown, too. You know, it's like it's it's tough to watch a little bit. And Pettis was just, like, always a super hard kicker. So he just totally folds him over with that one. Yeah, and he hurts him early too with uh, uh with one and 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 again the, he knows it and then even the commentary knows it. Uh, shout you know to to Rogan, give credit where credit's due. He's on it right away. He's like, oh, he's hurt. He's hurt from that. He's trying to hide it. You see his arm that he does a little off the cage knee to the body, which was kind of cool. Didn't really hurt him or have much sting on it, but you could just tell he was like uh, flowing from that point on. Um, Fenyo also has Aldo versus Stevens, which we talked about. He has Silver versus Bonner. Um, and then these are some really solid shouts. Joby versus Formiga. I believe both stoppages were predicated off body work there. Um, but uh, that's a great, that's either way, that's a great shout. And then he has Jack Delamadalene. Della Sorry for your ears, folks. Uh, over uh, Ramazan Emiv. Uh, of course, Jack Della is uh, always a great shout. And uh, yeah, definitely some solid body work in that fight for sure. Yeah, one of the premier body snatchers right now from both stances, the switch hitter, uh, JDM. He's great to watch. I love watching him uh, because of that. It kind of, it, yeah, it's like that boxing style they're talking about. Like, it's kind of lost a little bit in MMA, but he's just really great at going upstairs, getting the hands up high, and coming down low, but shifting into it as well, too. He's really creative with it. Absolutely. Um, another good follow, uh, another uh, an analyst and person in the space I respect, Fedor's nephew. If you want to keep up to date with some Russian fighters, uh, he has uh, Slava uh, Savichev's uh, whole career. Sorry if I mispronounced it. Um, so I did come across this guy actually in uh, earlier this year, just kind of looking through stuff. And this dude's a fun, a fun, a really fun action fighter. Um, and he has a mix of you know submissions and strike stoppages, but uh, most of his wins, I believe, all of them, or at least ninety percent, is by stoppage. And yeah, he's he is a body uh, a body hunter as well. Uh, really hipster hipster pick there. Shouts to Fedor's nephew. Um, Ghost Phantom, another analyst who I respect and I'm lucky enough to have part of this show. He is, of course, uh, one of the enforcers in the chat and uh, just an excellent analyst. He's helped pro fighters. Uh, he offers stuff uh, just on the space. Uh, good dude there. Um, he's got G hey, WMMA back on the board here. G on Kim versus Nadia Kasim. Left hook to the body. Um, I remember that. Pretty sure that was Kasim's last UFC fight. Um... Li Jing Liang versus David Zawada, sidekick to the body. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. That was a wild That's fight. That's a cool one. Yeah. That was a wild fight, sidekick to the body. Uh, Overeem versus Lesnar, knee to the body. All right. Um, this is the only other uh, other WMMA one here that I had under my honorable mentions, but he's got it here listed. Of course, that's Jessica Andrade versus Caitlin Chukagian. That was just a glancing is, shot. Yeah. This is the, a great one for that, like, just the reaction part of it, where she turns around and walks all like, the way across the cage. It's just yeah. like, yeah, that that's the visible reaction of it. And it's one of the ones where they probably should have just stopped it, but it's like one of the, yeah. like, 
if you take a body shot like that, you got to know that they're not going to recover. But yeah, just the well, reaction of it is 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 goaded. Well, no, they shouldn't stop it because if she can make it to the round, as we saw with Andre Ull and, uh, and Jonathan Martinez, you can actually win those rounds. Where oh, that's the, that's my least favorite, by the way. I and I do take into context, and it does matter. But I don't fucking care when somebody does the Caitlin Chukagian move and they 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 double over and run backwards to the cage. You should automatically lose that round. But you'll like go back and watch Keita Nakamura versus Alex Morono. Um, he does it to Alex Morono, and I think on one of the judges' cards, like, he still gets the round. I'm, I, I, nothing irks me more. And there's judges I respect that have fallen trick to that, but I'm just like, you, what the? You know, you, we're not going to stop the fight is one thing, which we it's been a, a theme on this this show, obviously. But you know what I'm talking about, Miguel, where they still win the round despite being clearly hurt to the body, almost finished. Yeah, it's it's interesting because if you watch Stadium Muay Thai, um, a lot of people get confused because it's the exact opposite thing where mm-hmm. they score body shots way more than they score. Yeah. Any, even like you'll see people getting like, you know, clean boxing combinations off. But they I mean, it's because they know they've been you know doing it for forever mm-hmm. that they know that a clean kick to the body, even though those guys like. They have the ultimate poker faces, you know, yes. and they it's amazing how how well that they can take kicks in the body. But still, it's like the whole crowd knows too. like a clean like a, a clean shot to the body is is more scoring. I mean, they might go a little bit too far with it sometimes or some decisions, you know, that are you, you may not agree with if you get into watching stadium Muay Thai. But in general, I like that aspect of it, that they truly understand the value of body work. Right, and there are some instances, you know, where you could split hairs and go either way, depending how subjective you are. But I do like it in spirit because it recognizes that, okay, just because the person caught the kick doesn't mean the kick didn't do damage. So a lot of Muay Thai fights, you'll see a guy kick a uh, catch a kick and look like he's not hurt, to your point, with the poker face. And he'll return a couple shots to the head, and maybe they didn't all land clean, but, you know, they kind of landed or whatever. Like... That's not who won the exchange. The guy who threw the body kick is getting to the judge's eyes. It won that exchange. Doesn't matter if it was caught and countered. It, you 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 really have to do a lot with that counter because the catch doesn't take away from the impact or the score of it. Um, and you really got to do something to overtake. To your point with the with the with the clean body strike. So um, yeah, you're not going to get complaints from me, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, and then he has Anthony Pettis for Cerrone Ghost says, and he, he, he ends it by saying not really the best, but what I thought were funny. So that's kind of the caveat <laughs> to his list. So I appreciate that. Um, my guy TB scouting shout out to the, uh, chronic combat conversations, combat chronicles, chronic combat conversations. I'm always trying to get my friends mixed up and I want to get the shouts right. Cause they both deserve it. They offer different content, but we're, we're all friends here, folks. Um, these guys do great fight breakdowns and uh, one of my go-to podcasts for the laughs. The, uh, you know, uh, MMA analysis, of course, is, is a classic one in the space, but you, you, you've got to recognize uh, chronic combat conversations. Um, TB says, I wonder if you felt obliged to include the Giga Kick KO of Cub or, or, or if your deserved bias kept them off the list. I think this is talking about the, uh, the, the wink and a nudge Giga hate, hate that I've had, but it's more of a, you know, I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm more like along the Phil McKenzie line. I don't know how much you can call us real, actual haters of these fighters. Um, is more just, uh, you know, is it a body kick, though? Because I thought it's called the Giga Kick. Because I, I get corrected every time I say liver kick, you know. I don't know, but uh, but that, that that is a funny shout. Any, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, you have to forgive me. I don't know the, the, the technical term for the kick other than the Giga Kick. I can't remember, but it's essentially... 
like a round kick, but you land with the ball of the foot. And, and that's what like makes it really unique. And like the way that he is able to land means that he's throwing essentially with sort of the momentum that you would get from a round kick where you're rotating your hips into it, but he's landing with the ball of the foot. So it's like, you know, it gets that much more like digging into the body. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, I will, uh, I will say that, uh, uh, I will also shout out another guy who ha- had a similar idea with his point of target, but he, his kicking gait and mechanics was different. It was more like a half moon, like almost like inside crescent kick, whereas Giga's, the mechanics almost resemble just to the naked eye, like a really brutal tie kick or middle kick, um, if you're missing the fine, finer detail that Miguel laid out. But that was, uh, what's his name? Tony Ferguson actually beat him. Uh, Eddie Alvarez fought him in Japan back in the day. Who was that guy? Ah, now I'm missing his name. He had the weird low-handed style, and he was the Shotokan guy. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Fuck, uh, I should know this. I, I, I yeah, set it up, I and then now, now, I'm, now, I'm, uh, now I'm, I'm missing the name. I'm going to... Um, it's a karate guy, too, right? Yeah, if you just look up Tony Ferguson, it'll pop right up on his... And It was amongst his win- winning streak. And he actually landed some really good shots on Tony. Obviously, Tony was... Wild with his defense, even though he could take it, actually, you know, gamble, afford to gamble more back then. But uh, we'll see who pulls it up first, me or Miguel. But uh, I apologize. I'm usually the person screaming at the podcast screen, and I know someone, at least one of you or two of you, are doing it right now, uh, just urging us to hurry up and get the name. And uh, I won't move, you know, rest until I get it. Pulling up here, folks. Oh, Kikuno. Kikuno, yes. Yep. Okay. Yes, that's right. Kakuno. Good. Good shout there. Good shout. Yeah, Kakuno's. Uh, speaking of, uh, to give Giga some credit though, um, this isn't on anybody's list, so I'll burn it. But uh, Jake Ellenberger versus Matt Brown. That was another very kind of uh, Al, in a way, kind of Aldo Stevens esque in the sense of like uh, Ellenberger was on a really bad run, like four or five, five of his last six. He literally begged Joe Silva for his, you know, um, one more fight. He was like a plus three hundred underdog to Matt Brown. And Matt Brown storms him, I think, maybe drops him early or something. And uh, Jake Ellenberger um, is looking for the liver kick, but he's getting overwhelmed. He's tired. It looks like he's on his way to another loss. And then just gives it one more shot. And uh, uh, body shot stops Matt Brown. And in his post-fight, um, Giga Chikatsi wasn't in the UFC at this point. But he uh, credited Giga Chikatsi for that, working him specifically for that camp for Matt Brown. So, shouts there. Um, let's see, we got any more lists? Uh, no, I believe that's it, man. I believe that's it for listener lists. Um, anything, uh, mentioned that anybody didn't mention yet that you want to mention before we get out of here, Miguel? You know, I think people got almost all the ones that I think I had listened out. I'll, I'll throw a, a few out here. Leota Machida versus CB Dalloway, another yep. written down? Uh, softball yep. body kick. Yeah. Um, Aaron Pico versus Shane Crutchen. I Ooh, love that one. Pico nice. just, you know, just, I, I don't know if I've seen anybody, somebody put more torque into um, a hook to the body than um, that. I, I, you know, that, that didn't come close to top five for me just because of the level of opponent there. Uh, sure. Joey Benavides versus uh, Darren Oyunayama. Yes. Um, good one. That's a really great one too. Uh, and then Mirsad Bektik versus Godofredo Pepe. That's another, oh, yeah. like, one of those, one. yeah. Yeah, so a, a few, uh, just a few there, but I think it's good because we got, like, such a wide range of actual techniques, you know, that, so I think we covered the gamut as far as ways to, to put somebody down with a body shot, so. 
Oh, I gotta get. I don't know why it didn't pop up here. I gotta get my guy Brad uh, Tazchuk. Speaking of the MMA analysis, he had an awesome list. He was one of the only guys who had a uh, CR Bahadurzada on his list. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Here. And uh, I was like, oh, I thought I was gonna sneak the CR on everybody. Like I, I, that was one of those hipster. In my mind, it wasn't that hipstery, but I was like, ah. Oh. But uh, of course, my guy Brad Tazchuk. Of course, at Brasschuk. Um, he had the Bahadurzada against whoever got crumpled with a body shot then KO'd on the way down. Yep. Um, Brad also had uh, David Loazzo versus um, Charles, as Bisping would say, miserable Charles McCarthy. Uh, oh, yeah. I, it's like, that's like a classic one. Classic. I'm surprised they didn't like, show up on any of our lists, honestly. It. I had to split hairs between that and Dennis Seaver versus Paul Kelly. Now, he, it, the Nate Moore one gets a lot of play. Uh, but I really like that Paul Kelly one because even compared to the Charles McCarthy one, it has the craziest impact. I mean, we talk about that Kyle Noakes, Peter Sabota having the sound. I mean, you could just hear the sound on this impact. And you know how it's like you were joking, but you were not about saying that Luan Chagas kind of got it merciful that uh, CR knocked him out on the way down. Um, it's because, and folks, this is why body shots hurt because the fighters, the, the people themselves, forget me, forget Miguel. How about the tough motherfuckers themselves who are actually in there will tell you that they would rather get knocked out to the head than to take a body shot. That should alone be the end of the be all of the argument. And okay, you want to press it further and say, Dan, those are just words. I will say, okay, go turn on Dennis Seaver versus Paul Kelly. And you get the classic thing where it's a brutal shot from hell that it should have been stopped like he actually refused to get up at a certain point and the ref was extra kind and like actually gave him the space and time that he didn't need to give him to get up by the way um but because mma doesn't respect body shots they allow the fight to go on and paul kelly is just getting brutalized after the initial spinning back kick from dennis siever that he starts just giving his head um <laughs> multiple times like literally to knees and like to full muay thai knees he's not even protecting his head he is literally dipping into it and the ref's like looking confused like why is he letting himself do this to him i better stop this he's taking too many headshots like not realizing it's been the body the whole damn time he's done <laughs> um but yeah uh and with loazo mccarthy back to uh your heath herring and then another thing about counters being thrown at the same time uh charles mccarthy uh i I would edge that one just above it because, A, it's a classic. You got David Loazzo, fellow Taekwondo black belt. Uh, you, got, you got representation for Canada. Not just that, but everybody remembers GSP. Like David Loazzo, even you go back and watch this fight, they're not referring to GSP as Canada's big thing. They're referring to David Loazzo as Canada's big thing. He's actually coming off of a grounded pound stoppage, showing off his grappling in the fight prior before this fight. And Charles McCarthy... Yeah, he's in the middle of throwing a right hand as he gets spinning back kicked right on the same side. So it's just brutal. He's he's done right away after that one. Um, but yeah, sorry, I just wanted to cover spinning. Use that as an excuse to, to cover um, spinning back kicks and why they weren't on this list, but they will definitely be on the top 10 list. In fact, you might even see both of those, if not at least one of those spinning back kick KOs on my top 10 list for Junkie. Uh, but back to Brad Tashchuk. I like this one. A, a lot, okay? So uh, for for right straight to the body, we mentioned that before I said I was going to tell you which one was mine. Originally, it was going to be John Lineker versus Phil Harris. Shouts to that, although Lineker missed weight, and even if he did it, it wasn't as cool as the one Brad chose, which will probably be on my top 10 list as well, which was Melvin Gillard versus Gabe Rudiger. Uh, of course, oh, this one, yeah. back at UFC 63, again, back when we're starting to watch, first start to watch this sport, Miguel. 
Um, and he yeah, does... I think this one. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Please, please. I was gonna say, I think this one. I I probably saw this replay like on Spike more than anything else. Like, I just remember it so firmly, and it's yeah, it's it's a great one to put on because we got a lot of like uh, liver shots. So we got a lot of like left hooks, left yes. kicks, yeah. spinning back kicks, uh, all on that side. But just the the long straight right to the body is like, and then you know he drops down, and then the funny thing is like. There's like that moment there where it's like he realizes and he runs at him and then tries to throw a kick and kind of kicks him in the shoulder while he's down. But it's like, yeah, without that, yeah. it would have been the perfect walk off. Yes. Yeah, he almost has, ends up having to do it pride style because uh, to be fair, Gabe Rudiger didn't go down from the first body shot. So you can't blame the ref for like, oh, he shouldn't have to have taken those shots. Like um, he's just trying to keep a, a poker face. And even though, you know, it's not like diverticulitis surgery or guts on a motorcycle bike track surgery like Donald Cerrone where you talk about that extra visceral. Um, this one's kind of funny because, again, I was a tough noob, and this is one of the few toughs, uh, including Tough uh, tough One, um, that I have on DVD, and that's, of course, uh, BJ Penn versus Jens Pulver, which is a really annoying season to listen to because you've got BJ Penn going, B-Fars, B-Fars, in every fight. But um, what else you have there is you've got the, the classic Gabe Rudiger uh, doing an enema to cut weight and of course having the ultimate fighter cam uh cameras follow him and and and, and, and that's how a lot of us learned what an animal was through gabe rudiger us young <laughs> immature mma fans and of course he got you know teased for you know uh you know uh you know in a very uh you know having anything near his anus in a sport like mma uh of course made him the subject for a lot of teasing even though he was on the same season as andy wang right gabe rudiger got a bulk of the teasing for his weight. So the fact that he just got body bullied by Melvin Gillard was just kind of funny. And he just, you know, he just collapses. Uh, not, not not to dance on Gabe Rudiger there, but that, that, was, that was comical. Yeah, that's probably one of the ones, too, that is, like, it's amplified by, like, the physical mismatch, too. It's kind of like uh, Chad yeah. Mendez versus yeah. Cody McKenzie, like, another one where it's just, yes. like... The fact that it's like you know one of the greatest athletes you've seen fighting somebody that's like a, like a, a very like C minus athlete. I mean that's generous for Cody McKenzie. Just makes it like feel right. like you're punching a child in the body or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean Gabe Rudiger was actually probably in the best shape that I remember seeing him in this fight. But even then, he resembled a uh, shout out to. And I'm not trying to make fun of these people again. I I I just went went to bat for CR, who's on my list as a fighter. Um, gave him personal shouts, right? But these guys with the bellies, because like he looks like uh, Gabe Rudiger looks like uh, they call him Tony Puddings on the MMA analysis, but it was Anthony Cristalololo. He was like a Renzo Gracie black belt, but he had like just a big belly at 155 and would go in there. You know, it was just it was great. Um, but yeah, uh, Brad also has GSP Sarah too. He says needed some body grounded pound in here somewhere. Although he says, I guess little Noctito would have worked too. So he kind of shouts both of us there for our grounded pound body shots. So that was a solid yeah, list. Yeah, I guess we could solid list. We there, could Brad. add um, Rashad Evans versus Tito as well, because didn't he finish him with a knee to the body? Yeah, and in fact, Tito in his post fight, he was saying he was saying this is the same one Rashad got me with, except it was just it just it felt even harder, and he was like he was still like not even talking right. But yeah, he referenced that Rashad knockout in his post fight interview actually. Um. Just going to just knock off the last four we get out of here. Uh, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Donald Cerrone, obviously. But RDA deserves some love for that one. Um, 
Tiago Alves versus Jordan Mean was the one I was referencing earlier where you'll see someone do something funny and it didn't pay off. I don't know if you remember this one, but this is one of Tiago Alves's last wins and last stoppage wins. Um, but Jordan Mean, uh, he actually, like, he tends to do, he has a good first round, but if the opponent survives it, funny things happen in the Jordan Mean fight. And uh, round two comes out, and Tiago Alves, even though he lost the round, he's a bit beat up, he's pressuring forward, and he has no business to be intimidating Jordan Mean at this point of the fight. But Jordan Mean kind of backs up, and he almost backs up so out of characteristic that uh, it, it, I don't know if he was trying to parlay into it into something goofy, but he actually does like a whole front flip and rolls for like no reason, and like pops up at the other side of the octagon. And the commentary was like, "No, nah, that was interesting. I don't know what that was for." And they look at each other for a couple seconds, like, "Okay." And then Tiago Alves just hits him as he's skirting off the cage with a body kick, and he goes down. It's just a weird. It was a right body kick too, by the way. Yeah, I guess that, that kind of just reminded me to like bring up like how um, great it is when you see people using bodywork to cut off escapes, like people trying to circle out. And uh, yeah, I think that's like obviously when you're trying to use lateral movement, <laughs> you're going to like basically imp- like just make the impact of the strike a lot worse if somebody cuts you off with a nice. That's that's one thing actually. George Hardwick is really great at. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know he's all out pressure fighter, so he's constantly co- closing people down and trying to trap them against the cage. That's why he's like made body work such yeah. a big part of his game. I mean, it's it's such a bonus when you get there. That's what that's what Max Holloway did when he got on the scene. It was those body work flurries against the cage. Where you know you got the commentary going, Hawaii is back. You know, in one of his first two fights, um, Jordan Mean had a beautiful left hook to the body, though. That's why I went down his catalog. But you don't really get that at least like high level classic finish from him. Um, he almost finishes Matt Brown in their epic fight, right? And then I'm like, oh, is this an excuse to do like maybe I won't do GSP Sarah too, but maybe like does Matt Brown like with the body elbows does that count? And as badass as those Matt Brown, Matt Brown was swarming him with mainly headshots that pretty much already had mean out of there. So I kind of disqualified it from my list, but that's any, any excuse I have to shot that fight. I will. Um, Oh, and then, uh, I was going to tell you the, 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 the number two behind Edson Barbosa, as far as like prolonged body beat downs. And, but it didn't qualify because the end is, uh, is, is headshots, but literally like it's body shots from the ground. It's body shots against the cage. It's body shots in the clinch. It's body shots in the open. At one point, Dustin Hazlett jumps up to pull guard on Rick Story, and Rick Story's body shotting him while he's trying to do guard pulls. Like he, Rick Story is literally body shotting Dustin Hazlett the whole time. Um, it is it is brutal, and even when the stoppage does happen, the the, the commentary goes, you know, yeah, it's those right hands that are landing clean. But to be honest, Hazlett was done from the body already. I don't know. Do you remember that this yeah. one at all? That's another like uh, physical mismatch too. And Rick Story was so ger- good, like during that streak, yeah. just like really stands out on tape. You know, he's one of the guys you would have liked to have seen things come together and get a shot at the title. But yeah, like he was just Hazlett, another one of those like tall, thin guys, really dynamic grappler. But just it's like tough to watch him get brutalized by somebody like the thick, stocky Rick Story. Absolutely. Um, and and last la, la, last two to shout or last three to shout. Um, this is one of my favorite body shot fight performances like of all time. But it again, it doesn't make the list because it's not a body shot that finishes them. But this is Takanor Gomi versus Jens Pulver at Pride Shockwave 2004. I mean, it's one of the best examples of body punching. 
You know, Gomi is a much more, you know, uh, still sloppier, despite still being in his prime and in his heyday, uh, than Jens Pulver, who actually, you know, had boxing, pro boxing experience at this point. Uh, you know, won the UFC lightweight title already at this point. Um, you know, real dangerous southpaw. I don't think he fought, he lost to Sakurai yet, but this is when he's getting over there into some of these really fun, fun fights. And Jens is doing pretty good, man, and really coming forward. But you see the momentum change from Gomi really hitting the body, and the body work kind of opens up the finish. So if you love body work, like watch that fight, even though the stoppage itself isn't from body shots. Do you remember that one at all, Miguel? Yeah, um, I remember it was a combination of stuff too, right? Like he was yeah. getting uh, double collar tie, landing knees. He was like, Gomi has this funny yeah. way of throwing his punches, you know, where he's just like, it really wings them. And like, it's so, it's, it's kind of nice to see him actually wing those punches to the body too. He probably like honestly should have done that more in his career as hard of a puncher as he was. But this is just awesome too. Like just historically thinking about like when lightweights really like started to be a thing and they were already like they are now like the most skilled fighters. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, Gomi. Yeah. He did a lot of it, uh, punching out of the break, which is something, you know, whether someone's against the cage or just a clinch in general, Again, it just feels like a free shot that fighters don't take advantage of enough. And, uh, yeah, that was that was where a lot of the action actually was happening in and out of the clinch breaks with Gomi, which was nice. Collar ties and stuff like you mentioned. Um, this one's probably going to be on my list because you, you, you got to have boss rooting somewhere, you know, for as much, uh, you know, you think I, I promote the liver shots, right? But uh, uh, for boss rooting's catalog, I, I would probably go uh, his third fight against Jason DeLuca. Uh, at Pancrase 30. This is like back in 96. I was in sixth, sixth grade, folks. But this is a brutal one. This is like he's getting like stopped to the body a bunch. And one of them toward the end, like the ref thinks it's a low blow, which happens with a lot of these. And it's great. Like uh, the ref's talking to to, to Jason DeLucia and you, you see Boss going, tell the truth, Jason. Tell the truth. Tell the truth, Jason. Because uh, Boss, say what you will about how ferocious he was a competitor and the stories you may, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, rumored about him outside, right? Um, <laughs> he was, you know, and I know it's part of it, but he was, no one apologized more during a fight than Boss Root. And if you go back and watch his old fights, like, yes, he was always fouling, but he was so genuine with his apologies. Like, you could tell this guy was going to get into acting because he was like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, man. You know, like he's speaking in English to like Japanese or American fighter, even though it's not his you know, first language or whatever, but, like, you just, you hear Boss in there, right? Even though it's a younger version of Boss. And uh, this one's just brutal. Yeah, he's just, like, essentially, this is right up there with the last one I was going to shout, with, with which is Yoshiro Maeda versus Charlie Valencia, as far as, like, guys audibly on the ground, like, like a, like a, like a toddler screaming in pain from a body shot. Um, but, yeah, Yoshiro Maeda, of course, I love that guy because he put on one of my favorite band, my, my favorite band fight probably of all time, Miguel Torres versus Yoshiro Maeda. Uh, uh, in WEC, uh, in order to get that winning streak, he fought um, old school guy, uh, WEC guy Charlie Valencia, who I posted earlier on Twitter. That's where I posted the clip of the pre-fight trash talk of Charlie Valencia going, um, "I just want to bang with this guy, and I hope he's ready for what I'm bringing because what I'm bringing is hard." <laughs> that very mid odds, mid odds, <laughs> you know, tra- trash talk. <laughs> that was from that Maeda yeah. uh, Charlie Valencia fight. Shout out to Brad Tazchuk. That was on his list as well. Um, that the was a southpaw, up. right? So that was like another yeah. liver, southpaw liver kick. Yeah, yeah, it was funny. Like you know, he he's a southpaw. Uh, I believe he had, came from a judo, 
and uh, and whatnot. But yeah, you almost forget he could kick too, because the classic matchup for great fights back then, whether it was like Carlos Condit versus Hiro Mitsumura or Torres versus Maeda, is you needed the jujitsu Muay Thai guy versus the judo boxing guy. Like, that made the best matchup because you get the boxing versus the Muay Thai. And then when the Muay Thai goes to clinch and they don't want nothing to the knees, they start throwing them in the air. But then they're on the ground with the, for the jiu-jitsu. And it's, just, it's, just, it's a crazy combination, you know. And the fights would just go crazy places. So, yeah. Yeah, that, and that uh, I, I – Miguel Torres was obviously one of my favorites because of the shared oh, name. And I'll just yeah. uh, shout out uh, our friend at Combat Chronicles, Kyle McLaughlin, did an auto, audio documentary on Miguel Torres that yes. is just really excellent that covers, like, his entire career. And it's it's really cool. And I really love that format. He's the best at doing that. It's a great shout. I was going to say, too, like, uh, with my Ibrahim Magomedov thing, before I went, like, too down the rabbit hole with some of these, um, I was going to actually – I'm glad you reminded me. I was going to use that as a chance to shout uh, – not just Kyle, but his guide to pride that's coming out. Um, like, yeah, I, I do my best to try to, even though these are silly listicles and listicles are silly folks, you know, and I know I'm a, you know, I'm a part of the media and I'm a part of MMA and all that stuff by itself is silly, much less altogether. I get it. But for what it's worth, whether you, you like me or not, whether you agree with my selections, which I don't expect you to, I never ask you to, for what it's worth, I do try to always include historical tidbits and stuff into these things, you know? Like, if I do top five Bantamweight fights, like, I actually gave the history in the beginning paragraphs of, like, the actual MMA's Bantamweight divisions and what different, you know, organizations were doing. So I try my best at this. That being said, uh, I absolutely defer to people like Kyle Mack when it comes to history stuff, and I'm glad there are people that do that work. Um, there was another podcast that used to do it. Uh, I used to shout them all the time. And they did some stuff going back to it, but like we don't have enough of that in this space. So uh, go subscribe to Chronic Combat Conversations, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the Protecunek Podcast Top Five Show, Top Five Body Shot Stoppages with Miguel Class. Miguel, anything we left off before we get out of here, man? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think that we really covered a lot yes. of different things. There's so many of them; it's a really wide topic, but that's yep. like half the fun of it. It is, it is. Hopefully you have a better uh, education, uh, a list of fights to catch up on, more of appreciation for body shots, and if you want more analysis from us, uh, Miguel, now the stage is yours, man. Plug whatever you want, shout out whoever you want, uh, let people know where to find you. Yeah, just uh, follow me on x.com, formerly Twitter, um, at midclass, uh, like Dan said at the start, and I write a breakdown article for a bloody elbow um, after every pay-per-view, so you can get on their sub-stack to get the full thing, but they post a preview of it on the main site, so you can check those out there, too. That's uh, pretty much you know, all you need to do to find all the stuff that I put out. Definitely. By the way, Miguel, you look like one of my, my good buddies, Montel Williams, who is not the talk show guy, but is actually related to the talk show guy he's an actual pro fighter at extreme couture shout out to montel it's a good guy to be confused with he's he's a smart successful handsome all that stuff but you, you're like his doppelganger bro it's driving me nuts i had to throw that out there <laughs> that's um, awesome yeah yeah shouts to montel or anybody from extreme couture listening you can find me at dan tom mma of course this show is hosted and supported on my website mixedmarshallanalyst.com where you can find those click-throughs again for black friday especially it helps folks if you're buying any uh, protein stuff for people from the Onnits or the, you know, anything you can buy at Amazon, uh, that's, you know, legal, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you want to ease your conscience, go to MixedMarshallAnalyst.com. Click through the links. Toggle down to the right. Just click through that link. That's all you have to do. Go about your normal shopping. Small percentage 
gets uh, kicked back to this year program. And, of course, you can also find secure PayPal links on that site or find me at DanTomMMA on all social platforms along with at the PYN Podcast. And at least in my link tree, you will find a link to uh, that secure PayPal link if you want to support this here free program uh, that comes to you for breakdowns, bets, picks, uh, historical stuff, and whatever else I can manage to do. Uh, hopefully you're liking it. The best thing you can do for this free show is not even to click the links, even just share, click the like. Uh, positive ratings and reviews on iTunes, which I promise I will finally get around to reading next time. I just wanted to shout uh, some of the Amazon purchases. If I didn't get to yours, I will get to it next time. Thank you guys so much. I uh, hope you're having a good holiday. And shout out to people who don't, who either, you know, uh, you're like, you're a weirdo like me. You're not big into the holidays or, uh, and I say this every year regardless, but shouts to those who, uh, you know, whether it's friends or family, they're on the other side of the world or circumstances aren't. Uh, I'm always thinking about the people who don't celebrate, the people uh, who don't have uh, things, whether it's a company or, you know, the things that matter in life, not the material bullshit. So uh, stay strong out there. Mental health can be really challenging this time of the year. So I really want to make sure that I'm putting out my love to each and every one of you. Um, and hopefully we can all uh, find something to be grateful for. It shouldn't be too hard with uh, what's going on around us. So hope you guys are well. I'll see you next week. And until next time, protect your neck. So long, I felt this way for so long.